I would rather try than die, have my bones and skin melted away during judgment day when the big one drops on my head. Surely we will all be dead. This program contains mature subject matter. Including maladjusted youth, masochistic hillbillies, and the excitement of the price is right. It may be deemed inappropriate for our younger viewers. Viewer discretion advised. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. <laughs> this show is behind the Shem Shemmas schemes. I give you a choice. Either put on these glasses or start eating that trash can. Yeah, it's a nasty scheme. You maniacs! What is a man? You blew it up! Damn you! A miserable little pile of secrets! Damn you all to hell! What is BTS? When we are successful, we will be. We have a real chance of this. Your patience is wearing thin. We are formless. We are the very discipline and morality that Americans invoke so often. How can anyone hope to eliminate us? As long as this nation exists, so will we. Cut the crap! If you're immortal, why would you take away individual freedoms and censor the net? <laughs> Jack, don't be silly. Don't you know that our plans have your interests, not ours, in mind? What? Jack, listen carefully, like a good boy. The mapping of the human genome was completed early this century. As a result, the evolutionary log of the human race lay open to us. We started with genetic engineering, and in the end, we succeeded in digitizing life itself. But there are things not covered by genetic information. What do you mean? Human memories, ideas, culture, history. Genes don't contain any record of human history. Is it something that should not be passed on? Should that information be left at the mercy of nature? We've always kept records of our lives. Through words, pictures, symbols, from tablets to books. But not all the information was inherited by later generations. A small percentage of the whole was selected and processed, then passed on. Not unlike genes, really. That's what history is, Jack. But in the current digitized world, trivial information is accumulating every second, preserved in all its triteness, never fading, always accessible. Rumors about petty issues, misinterpretations, slander. All of this junk data, preserved in an unfiltered state, growing at an alarming rate. It will only slow down social progress, reduce the rate of evolution. Right. You seem to think that our plan is one of censorship. Are you telling me it's not? You're being silly. What we propose to do is not to control content, but to create context. Create context? 
The digital society furthers human flaws and selectively rewards development of convenient half-truths. Just look at the strange juxtapositions of morality around you. Billions spent on new weapons in order to humanely murder other humans. Rights of criminals are given more respect than the privacy of their victims. Although there are people suffering in poverty, huge donations are made to protect endangered species. Everyone grows up being told the same thing. Be nice to other people. But beat out the competition. You're special. Believe in yourself and you will succeed. But it's obvious from the start that only a few can succeed. You exercise your right to freedom, and this is the result. All rhetoric to avoid conflict and protect each other from hurt. The untested truths, spun by different interests, continue to churn and accumulate in the sandbox of political correctness and value systems. Everyone withdraws into their own small gated community, afraid of a larger forum. They stay inside their little ponds, leaking whatever truth suits them into the growing cesspool of society at large. The different cardinal truths neither clash nor mesh. No one is invalidated, but nobody is right. Not even natural selection can take place here. The world is being engulfed in truth. And this is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but a whimper. We're trying to stop that from happening. It's our responsibility as rulers. Just as in genetics, unnecessary information and memory must be filtered out to stimulate the evolution of the species. And you think you're qualified to decide what's necessary and not? Absolutely. Creating context like it's our solution. This is episode 141 of Behind the Schemes for February 27th, 2023. And adding to this growing cesspool, this is Booberry, Black Knight of the Mothman. And all the way from way the hell over here on the bereft coast where we've been digitizing life for quite some time now. My name is Lavish. And we, I like to, or we, I should say, like to be very on top of uh, correcting uh, mistakes on the show. So right out the gate, I just wanted to say that the opener should have been creating context like we're the solution. <laughs> mm, indeed. Give me a table. I'll flip this shit. Well, since we're acknowledging uh, mistakes, uh, Dark Ride, Thu uh, the Cookie, came in and... Uh, Reminded us that in last year's, uh, not last year's, last week's episode, we talked about Tom Hanks and his CIA connections. And uh, he said, you didn't mention that he was in a dress to start his career. Smack my head. In Bosom Buddies. It wasn't in a sitcom or was that a movie? Let's see here. Bosom Buddies is a TV series, comedy series that ran from 1980 to 82. And it also had Peter Scolari. Our old friend Peter Scolari. You'll, uh, you'll have to remind me. Oh, uh, I don't know. I just remembered the name. I, I've definitely... Let's see. What has he been? He was in uh, the Bob Newhart show. Uh, he was in Girls for a little while. I'm just looking at his IMDb here. Uh, anyway. Yeah, the name doesn't uh, jump out immediately to me. It's an obscure Hollywood actor. Mm. No, I but gotcha. Tom Hanks... That's his, yeah, they're, they're both in drag for that one. And as we know, dr- being in drag is, uh, is one of the things that you have to do it's, to make it. It's being part of the solution. Exactly. You're, you're finally part of the solution. You're wearing the dress. Put on the dress. Come on, Dave. 
Come it's on, so man. funny. It's going to be so funny in the script. You're going to let it's going to be hilarious, Dave. <laughs> well, how you been? How's your week? Uh, things are so weird. Things are so crazy, but you know, we're hanging on, we're doing it. We're going for it. Mm, no doubt. It's, uh, it's been nice though. You know, we've, we've seen more rain this winter than we've seen, uh, in a long time. So that's always nice. Were you were you in the uh, the snow path? Did you catch any I was. of that? Oh, I, I I live next to a mountain range, a small one, but it it's uh, the Mount Diablo, which is you know a little ways east of Oakland, San Francisco area. And Mount Diablo is special because you can see in a, a ton of landmass from the peak. Usually, mountains have other mountains in the way, and you can't actually see all that much. This mountain is very tall all by itself. Let me just find an exact number for you. And if you go all the way up there, you can see uh, a stupid amount of California. Uh, you can see for hundreds of miles, basically. <laughs> wow. A hundred miles, perhaps. Maybe I'm being... Uh, but it feels like hundreds of miles. On a very clear day, you can see so far. Um, the height of the mountain is around 4,000 feet. And so we, it never has snow on it. It, it never gets snow. And, uh, this week you woke, we all woke up and it was coated in snow from head to toe. And it was an incredibly unique site that we ne- we haven't seen before. Wow. Do you want me to bring some of ours over to you? <laughs> yes. Well, it's not far that the, like up in Tahoe, they're getting hammered. Not yeah. probably as hard as you guys, but we had another 18 inches this past week. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> like that 18 inches thick. 18 inches thick. thick. Is that typical for a winter? Yeah. Getting that much snow? It's, uh, it's just incessant. It's thick. It's thick. Yeah. I, I don't mean to complain to, I'm, I'm complaining to the wrong guy, but it was interesting. It's so thick. It's been snowing a shitload on the West Coast, so if it, I'm wondering if it's just the same amount everywhere else, then it's just the West Coast that's getting rocked, I guess. But not really rocked. It's just a little snow. People lose their minds, though. They don't know how to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they uh, are tough. That's, that's kind of the same here. <laughs> well, more elements to deal with. Maybe it's just the human condition. I don't know. You're not supposed to be out in there and like that and that shit, you know? The other thing that, uh, well, there's two things. Um, one of them I could probably say for uh, my segment, get into a little more. Um, I went to a pro wrestling match. Uh, that was cool. Beautiful. Yeah, at a local school. Um, the AWF, uh, something, something 19. It was the 19th iteration of that one. Um, and the other thing is I retooled the placement of all of the applications for the live show. And oh mm-hmm. my goodness, it really like, there was some real Zen placement. Um, I, I forget the name of the, uh, like the way that you can approach a room and reorganize the furniture to like open it up and just make it look more spacious and roomy. With mm. the same amount of space, that's what happened here. 
So it's the same amount of windows, but everything's bigger. So good. The set. You're talking about the set. Yeah, just the setting of all the applications, and all of them got a new home. Very exciting stuff. Excellent. More, you know, the efficiency has been laid out. Um, so yeah, that's uh, cool. that's all I got. Good, so, what uh, what do you got for a tarot card tonight? Well, uh, yeah, it was funny. I've been drawing a lot more tarot lately. I took a break from it for a bit, but uh, tonight we drew, and we draw every night a tarot card. Uh, tonight we drew the high priestess reversed. Um, she's so high. I she's so man. She's a little man. Yeah, the highest priestess. Priestess. I don't. I don't, I don't uh, immediately recall the high priestess. I don't feel like we get this one very often, if we've ever gotten it. But I could be wrong. Uh, the High Priestess Upright is a very... The High Priestess is a very powerful card. It is, I believe, number two of the ma- Major Arcana, uh, which is, you know, pretty important place. And Upright, it usually means like an unconscious intuition or a sort of a spirituality or an inner voice or a higher power that you're communicating with where you're you're creating magic. You're you're in tune with something that's greater than yourself. You're at the same time very stable internally, and um, and your motives are pure and honest and open. That's the sort of feeling that I get with the high priestess upright. It's very much like the magician. I mean, it's basically the female version of the magician. Yeah, she's kind of like a Galadriel from Lord of the Rings. Galadriel, whatever yeah. the fuck her name is. The uh, the elven uh, lady, yeah, with the ring. She has a ring of power, and this high priestess definitely has a ring of power. And the thing that I drew from tonight, which is the gilded set, we have a very uh, kind of a somewhat lewd image. We have the high priestess uh, clad in the most thinnest of material, uh, kind of relishing an orgasmic delight at the moon. It's and very provocative. It is indeed. And uh, we got the two towers there, as you can see. The the two Masonic towers of the Solomon's Temple towers. I'm not sure I understand what the J and B are for. It's the names of the pillars, which are uh, Joab and... Uh, fucking, what are the pillars called? In Mokim or something. Let's see. Solomon's pillars are uh, temple occult. Boaz and Jaquin. Mm, okay. According to the Bible, Boaz and Jaquin were two bronze pillars that stood at the porch of Solomon's temple, the first temple of Jerusalem. They're used a lot in everything. Um. Yeah, I've been trying to find the um the book that I got for the um the Rider Waite, but I can't locate it for some reason. Um, can I get into a little bit of the uh, Labyrinthos Reverse meeting? Yes, please. When it comes to the High Priestess Reversed, it can mean that you are finding it difficult to listen to your intuition. It is time for you to meditate and try a new approach. 
For at this moment, the rational approach will not work. Something has been telling you to follow your gut, but you may be ignoring the call. There is a lot of confusion around you, and your actions may feel contrary to what you know is right. You must never be afraid to ask questions of yourself that may illuminate a new path forward uh, for you, one that is more authentic to your inner self and individual values. Mm. Mm. Avoid cognitive dissonance. I'll tell you what, man, the worst I told you so will always come from your gut. That's uh, that's where you learn the true lessons. That's yeah. where you really grow. That That's where it gets pounded home. Yeah, and you go, well, I'm going to do everything I can so this never happens again. <laughs> I will heed every <laughs> word so carefully, gut. It's just <laughs> me and you that. now. Just me and you, you and I. Together as one. Uh, so what would be your, your just wrap-up thesis of the reversed high priestess? What does it mean to you? Uh, well, I'm looking at um, the very, very bottom of Labyrinthos, which I don't typically go that deep, but uh, some other key words was lack of center, lost inner voice, repressed feelings. Um, it kind of strikes me as like... <sighs> So you've got this muse, right? But you took the muse and you threw her into a cell. You don't call no more. You don't text. And uh, she's like pounding on the jail cell bars with a, with a little tin cup. And you're just like, Matt, I'm not going to hear it. I can't hear you. Uh, but you know that you know that she's down there. You know that she's got to be let out. And um, yeah. I think that's well said. I think that that is a good uh, metaphor or simile to describe the card of High Priestess Reversed. You've you've thrown the muse in the cage. Give her a sandwich. Let her out. Give her some sunlight. (laughs) Get back in the goddamn trunk. Okay, now get in the cage. Okay, you've overstepped your bounds. Get back in the fucking... Uh, All right. Beautiful. Oh, that's the tarot card. If you want to see that tarot card, you can always go over to zososcorner.substack.com. Uh, that's zososcorner.substack.com. We got it posted right there at the very top of the show notes for this week. Uh, it also doubles as our weekly newsletter. Uh, so it'll have all of the weekly show art. It's got producer credits. It's got all of the show notes, including links to articles and videos that we pull clips of. There's memes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, there's links to other show-related stuff. Uh, it just never stops. That's right. You can go into the chat room. God Ooh. damn it. You got me too. It got me too there. That one was, a, that was a good one. That was a good one. Make heroism. Boosting in 8888. Oh my God. Make heroism. Thank you so much for, for getting my, our Jimmy's rustled here. Yeah. Ugh, I, was, I was just saying before the show that this is the only one that still shocks the shit out of me every time. <laughs> Because it's just so violent and aggressive and right there. So sudden. Yeah. Just <laughs> payloads all up front. <laughs> you, you know why the Rickroll was so effective back in the day? It still continues to be. three drum beats? Because it just kicks off and there's nothing you can do. The human brain can't react that fast before you get the do-do-do-do-do. Yeah. And you're like, oh no. Ba-na. Hey, that would be a pretty cool boost at some point. Oh, Rickroll boost? Yeah. I'm sure that would that would be a hit. 
we'll, we'll think oh about it. We'll think about it. Uh, but Rick we boost. we God. do do this show every Monday night. You can check us out Ugh. over at badradio.live. We do this show at 7.30 Pacific, 9.30 Central, 10.30 Eastern. And uh, there's a link to the chat room, irc.zeronode.net, hashtag green room if you're hella based. Uh, or you can just use the web client found over at badradio.live. This is a value for value production, meaning we put everything out there on the internet accessible for you to enjoy at your leisure. And all that we ask is if you enjoy or got some form of value from the show, uh, turn around and help us produce this show, whether it be through financial donations, boostograms, clips, music, ISOs, story suggestions, art. All of it goes towards making this the sort of radio that you got to hear. That's right. How right you are, sir, boobs. And uh, anything really counts. You know, value for value, people think, well, you know, it's publicly supported. It's more than publicly supported. It's it's publicly motivated, if you will. Publicly driven. Publicly driven. And the keyword being driven, it's driven, baby. It's, it's, it's a big old yacht. Hop on board. You don't have to <laughs> forget any, you know, treasure. Your time and talent is just as good. Guess what? It's a giant yacht and you are invited. And you're way invited, and it's for free. Just going to hang out in the chat room, you know, and uh, just just be part of the conversation. If you even do that, then you're easily a producer uh, of the show, and that's what it's all about. And when Lavish says free, he's not talking financially free. He's talking free of the, in the sense that we can come onto the air and say, and say damn near anything that we got to. And That's we, right. we don't have to worry about uh, advertisers or commercial dollars getting all upset at us and deciding to pull our material uh, or funding, no. I should say. Can't pull our funding. They can't uh, fire us. We are immune from their crit- criticism and from ratings. Uh, this, none of that is needed. Mm-hmm. This is an organic, ho- homegrown, small batch, artisanal, beautiful, publicly supported Value for value program. Yeah. And behind the schemes.com, SCH3 and 3S is where you're going to want to go to check out all the ways that you can help support us. Uh, We do have some boostograms to read from this prior week. Uh, Boostograms, if you are wondering, are micro payments of Bitcoin that you can send in real time through a podcasting 2.0 compliant app. Uh, if you head over to nudepodcastapps.com. Sometimes it sounds like I'm saying nudepodcastapps.com. Because uh, you-, <laughs> you are. Oh, yeah. Ned, Ned, dirty. Oh, sterile goat blood right in my face. Cleansing boost. Nice. Or you could go to podcastapps.com, but I would recommend. Yes, nudepodcastapps.com. Is the hottest place that you're going to want to take all your clothes off at and that's uh, right and boost but if you are at work though podcastapps.com will work just fine <laughs> true if you're at work if you're at work or if you just don't give a fuck that too uh now podcasting 2.0 is more than the boostograms by far it includes tra- chapters transcripts uh cross app comments uh goodness uh, soundbite tags, all of it. We try to in- implement as much as we can every uh, every post show, um, and there is no paywalls for the show. Uh, so there's no like Patreon tiers or nothing like that. Mm-hmm. 
And no, uh, you know, pillow reads or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we do have these boosts that we'd like to read through. And we're going to scroll all the way back down to see uh, Brooklyn 112 through Curiocaster, and he boosted 10,000 sats saying, I like this. Oh. Well, funny enough for you, see Brooklyn 112, I like this too. Ah, uh, hashtag me as well. <laughs> hashtag pound me too. Pound me too. <laughs> pound me too. Uh, we got another 100 sats for the Stay A While album. Thank you for that. Musicsideproject.com. Uh, we got 5,000 sats from Matthew PM Bigelow.com saying, uh, through Podverse saying, thanks for helping me with my back end. It was a mess. Oh my. You're, you're so welcome, Mr. Bigelow. <laughs> and that's, uh, Matthew PM Bigelow.com of the ja- uh, Japan What podcast. Yeah, Japan What, a fine program itself. And he's uh, recently joined the uh, the Hella based tier. I think I've said Hella based twice now. Uh, he's joined the Ultra tier. Because <laughs> uh, you're Hella based, bro. Don't I, worry about it. I know. Lean um, in. <laughs> embrace it. Embrace the base. Uh, <laughs> he uh, recently got his show, Podcasting 2.0 Compliance, so you can go over to a new podcast app and uh, boost the Japan What podcast. And I will, mm. I will say this about that show. One of the reasons that I enjoy it so much is I'm not looking for people to just say the same sort of stuff that I need to hear to make me feel better. That's not what it's about. What it is about is knowing that halfway across the world, there are people looking around going like, oh, this is kind of messed up. And, uh, Japan Watt gets into uh, a lot of the same sort of topics, you know, World Economic Forum type stuff, uh, a lot of AI coverage. Uh, so it's very mm-hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a, a former former Canadian turned Japanese citizen. It's well worth a check out. Highly recommend it. Indeed, we, admittedly, we don't cover a lot of AI stuff because uh, I don't know. I don't know why we don't because it's not really AI. It's weird. Uh, we should start covering AI when it's actually AI. If I can find something spooky, uh, there was that one guy that we covered the the Google whistleblower saying that the AI had become sentient. Oh yeah, um, I think that was oh, the yeah. last one. Uh, I love that. The, the yeah, the Google one and the Microsoft one that have gone amok. That's the great modern urban tale, urban legend. It's the tale of like the sentient AI. Watches everybody through their webcams. There's nothing you can do. There's just not a ton of stories that strike me in such a way that I'd want to spend a week's worth of work pulling clips on it. Mm-hmm. Especially when you can always listen to uh, uh, a <laughs> comic strip blogger show with a, a GWIF. Oh, yeah. AI.cooking. AI.cooking. You can uh, listen to, to a lot of stuff about AI material there. Whip. Miss you, bud. The Gwiffers. Hope, hope you're doing good, man. The fucking King of Kent. The cock himself. We should do a misinformed nation here soon. Yeah. Feeling, feeling it coming. Maybe see if... Uh, what time is it in the UK right now? Let's see. Uh, it's probably 3 o'clock in the morning give or take 
Uh, yeah, you're very close. Four o'clock in the morning. It's four o six a.m. Uh, in London, uh, considering that it is eight o six p.m. here on the bereft. Anyway, uh, let's continue. Sorry. We got uh, 6666 from Bully Steed saying rock, paper, scissors. Oh, scissors. Yeah, scissor me timbers. <laughs> oh, scissor me timbers. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh, man. I don't know. Thank you, Boosty Steed. I don't, I don't know what this is, but ew, I don't like that. It said horror, scary, violence, body stabbed with scissors. <laughs> Oh, that was a nice uh, spongy stab. Gross. <laughs> Leave that goat alone, Booberry. No! You're not even my real dad. I may not be your father, but I am your daddy. Whoa. <laughs> I don't know if you were aware of this boy, but where I'm from, them's fucking words. Them's <laughs> fucking words. <laughs> And I uh, I did rip Cotton Gin's boost of 99.99 sats through Podverse, where he's boosting the live tag. He said, scissor me timbers. Scissor me timbers. Everyone's scissoring their timbers this evening. Good. Uh, we got 66.66 from none other than yourself. And what was it that you said? Oh, yeah. You said, uh, goat rip. Rip it. Goat rip. Rip goat. I had to, I had to get a katana in. And there was a chance that I get the katana, and I got it first try too. Yeah, uh, we got twenty eight seventy four through Fountain from Bully Steed saying "Carry on," and that's a Jim Jones boost. Mm. Uh, I we should say that if you want to take a look at all of the possible combinations of amounts of sats that you could boost to this show and trigger something, all of those are listed. On a separate Substack article, um, and the shortcut for that is liveislit.com. We got all of them. There's uh, over 30 sounds and hundreds of gama- or uh, about 150 gamatria boosts. Mm. So it's it's close to 200 different things that can happen when you boost this show. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it grows. It's growing. It's uh it's quite a an interest it's like a Christmas tree that just gets more ornaments on it. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful tree. With more string lights and bubble lights and glass icicles. In different shapes. We've got like Jim Jones uh ginger snaps on there. Yeah, we've we got, got like uh you know. like Shibari bondage people hanging yep. from the tree. It's it's good stuff. Yep, yep. Uh, speaking of good stuff, 8888 from Servo boosting through Podverse, the live tag. He said, porn cops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, porn cops. Porn cops, hot. <laughs> I don't have any good, like, uh, cop sirens. Maybe in the future. Uh, Instead of uwu, it's wee-woo. I should, wait, is uwu backwards uwu? This would be the assumption. Mm. We'll have to check that out. We got 8888 sats from Make Heroism Through Fountain. No message. Uh, striking the shit out of that gimp. 
And then uh, last but not least, it was Net Ned, three founts and 6666 sterile goat cleansing boost. It's a sterile goat. You know, we've met Net Ned before in person, and I gotta say, he is a very clean person, very incredibly sterile. He is. He's very sterile. He's very well-kept, very clean. I would eat out of his hands. His hands are so clean. Yes. Yes. I would share a beer. I would drink a beer directly from Net Ned's mouth. I I would drink my beer while watching you do that. (laughs) I'm just here. You go, wow. Because I'm just here because I like to uh, watch. You're like, hey, so... uh, you want to hop on the mic real quick? It's fucking raw. It's fucking dead raw. And someone Diamond Dave does just now. Bully Steed with 7777. She says, more kazoo. Oh, well. Oh. Is something when you thought it'd be this way And everybody says that you're gonna be all up in that shit And no one knows that I'm gonna fucking come Bully State, I know this might be uh, hard to imagine But it's difficult finding good, decent kazoo covers of songs <laughs> Yes, so if you are a kazoo person <laughs> And you and you want to really help produce the show? Send in your kazoo covers, please. Just send your kazoos. Don't send blankets or water. <laughs> Just send your kazoos. We could be president. <laughs> the both of us. <laughs> We're neither one of us are qualified, but together we With are qualified. Our powers combined. <laughs> <laughs> We have a collective three months experience in politics, uh, which that's is not true. We don't have any we have zero, zero, very, zero months. Very, very generous. <laughs> well, we want to be politicians. We have to lie. We have to just get, we have oh, to rip that right. bandaid off quick. Yeah. So six we might months. As well just, six months. A, actually a year, actually four, four years, four years. We've been politicians. Um, but on the six years when it really started to click. We'll lead us two games. We'll lead us two games. No. And oh, is, am I going to get flagged by Spotify for singing Tenacious D? I hope so. Flag us, you stupid cocks. Sue me, Jack. Fucking let's go. Sue me, Jack. I'm gonna block the shit out of you. Let's do it. You want to fuck with me, son? I'll, I'll use that block tag. I ain't got no qualms. <laughs> Look the shit out of you. Motherfucker's Don't trying to bitch. get blocked out here. Someone just dropped a humbucker electric kazoo right here in the chat. <laughs> Servo. You know, funny enough. Humbucker. I, I could, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I definitely know her. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Uh, wow, look at this thing. That is a real piece of machinery there. You could fucking plug that straight up into the console and plug it into the Motu. Yeah, Revolution Number Nine style, straight oh, in, yeah, straight to the console. Fuck you, George Martin. Sorry. Uh, let's see what what else we got. Do we have any? That was the last boost, I believe. 
Uh, it was. And to answer Squalor Bill's question real quick, does three months political experience get you the insider trading exemption? All I can say to that is, what insider trading? Uh, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, <laughs> you mentioned that uh, others have mentioned it in the past, and I'm sure they'll continue to mention it in the future. Thank you. How did I do? Am I doing okay as a politician? <laughs> yeah, just uh, what is it? Avoid avoid hot tubs and small aircraft for a while there. Uh, how about hot aircraft and small tubs? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. com. That's where you're going to want to go. Delete the Apple, delete the Spotify, delete the Google, whatever the fuck they use. Delete the Amazon podcast if you do that. And uh, try out one of the new ones. There's a lot of cool stuff that you can do. And uh, it's just so much better. So it is. So Upgrade your, your podcast situation, man. Man, don't be so flippant, man. Don't be so flippant, man. Throw your phone in the sea, get Linux, listen to podcasts. Everything involving behind the schemes is just off the rails. Yeah. What a bunch of freaks. Do a commercial, you're off the artistic roll call. Every word you say is suspect. You're a corporate whore, and uh, end of story. Put on your 3D glasses now. That is just some some uh, live podcasting. You're so fucking fired. I mean, not no. really. Not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Uh, the easiest way that you can support this production is by pulling out your cell phone or your landline and giving us a, a call. So, That's right. What, what's the number? Oh, that number, that phone number that you can call or text at any time, leave a screen mail would be 612 263. Seven nine nine nine. As Bill Cooper once said, get a paper and a pencil, folks. Six one two two six three seven nine 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 is that number. Give us a call. Get a pencil and a paper. That's a wet ass pussy. Um we did get yeah. a text message from a texter. Uh you can also text that number, six one two two six three seven nine nine nine. And uh, Texter said peekaboo and sends a very lewd image. Uh-oh. Yeah. Oh, my. Oh, my. Call her dirty. Dirty now. What a naughty image. So dirty. I can see her under region. <laughs> you dirty bitch! Gorgeous. I, I shouldn't assume that she's a dirty bitch. That would be insensitive. Inappropriate. No. She's not. She could... Maybe not be a bitch. She could. She's she very much well could be a very lovely person. Still dirty though. <laughs> here's hoping. Uh, here's a <laughs> here's a here's a scream mail. Hi, I always be by about news. Eric R. Cole, but uh, you're showing it. Uh, 
at uh, one point, uh, Shona scream. Damn. Hmm. That man was very educated. You could tell. You could tell by the way he talked and the way it is. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm curious if he was talking the show notes, but we did get that rectified eventually on Thursday. Um, we did. Were you the one that finally got it pushed through? I I did. I, okay. I kind of went in there on a whim and was like, is it working? And it worked. So there you go. Right. It did take us a little while. Usually we have the show notes posted before we start the live show. And uh, this time it took us like a couple days. Mm. And people were in arms. There was pitchforks and torches and... Um... That's right. We were getting messages like, like as if, you know... Like like real producers would. They 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 wrote us in. They were like, "Excuse me." Oh my god! There was a crowd of people all outside my house with their <laughs> phones out recording me. They're looking for you, Booberry. They're looking for you, Lavish. They're <laughs> looking for you, Barbara. There's one of them now. No. <laughs> oh man, let's uh, see what color followed up with. Color. <laughs> oh, you think you're fucking funny? Think you're funny, son? Do ya? Big screamer! <laughs> oh my! <laughs> funny guy! Funny guy, Sully! So, so silly! <laughs> We appreciate a good scream. That's why it's a scream mail. And, uh, and uh, I'm coming for you, Barbara. Uh, you should call us at 612-263-7999. If you've had a bad day, give us a, a, a cathartic scream. If you're having a good day, give us a jovial, lighthearted scream. If you're... Uh like ass naked, covered in blood. I mean, you were able to get access to a phone. Give us a scream. Yeah. <laughs> Dirty. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's let's get into some show stuff. Let's. What shall we roll today, sir? I'm gonna do. Uh, I'm gonna do the four sided die. We're gonna use that as a multiplier, and we're gonna use okay. the six sided die, and we're gonna multiply that. And person mm. closest to 13 will go first. I like it. 13, lucky 13. Seeing a lot lately. Roll or die, I and roll or die, I Hmm. Well, I got an interesting number. I got uh, I got a, a three on the four sided die and a three on the six sided die. Hmm. Thirty three. It's a magic number. It is. Well, we were talking about lucky thirteen. Well, I got lucky fourteen. I got Man, one I on the six sided. Oh, sorry. Ooh. <laughs> it's like that's a new boost. I got one on the six-sided, and I got four on the four-sided. Damn, spanked. Spick spanked. Mm-mm. 
And, uh, man, I feel like it takes a lot to make the Mothman mad. Except this. I'm furious. Fuck this shit. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's how the Mothman comes. That is how the Mothman. I'm coming. <laughs> oh my God, Barbara. I'm coming. I'm coming, Barbara. Great name. It's a great name. Great movie. Great line. Great movie. Great film. Great picture. Uh, well, what you got tonight? Is it me? Yeah. Uh, closest to 13 goes first. Uh, I got four. You got nine. No. Oh, 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 oh. Shit. <laughs> You know, you're asking, like, we're doing math and shit. I, I don't know. I don't That's know okay. I don't even know what's going on. According to my math, there was a 50% chance that one of us would be right. <laughs> um, I think. Goodness. <laughs> Please, after you, Monsignor. Uh, yeah, I'm all discombobulated now. Uh, I mean, I can go first if you'd like. No, 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 no. I got this. I got this. All right, all right. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling frosty. Feel that raw energy coursing through your veins. I'm going. I'm going Super Saiyan, baby, and it's the perfect oh color. God. I got a question for you. You like gold? I love gold. What uh? What do you feel about lost Civil War gold? Oh my God! That makes me very excited. What would you feel about? Oh, I don't know. A lost shipment of 52 bars of gold. Ugh. Oh, that sounds great. We're going to Pennsylvania. It's dense run. Ah, this is ruling. Yeah, dude. This is the lost Civil War gold. According to the legend, in early 1863, a shipment of 26 gold bars, property of the U.S. government, was loaded onto a Union Army caravan in Wheeling, West Virginia. The caravan was under orders to take the gold to the United States Mint in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where it would be used to pay for the war effort. Gold shipments were incredibly important for the Union and its success under Lincoln. He was reliant on that gold to pay soldiers and to pay off some debts to foreign lenders. And so these operations of transferring gold were secret and they were protected by troops to watch it and guard it. That was the only way it could be shipped. 11 Union soldiers and three wagons began the 350 mile journey to Philadelphia, but just 60 miles into their trek, an unexpected turn of events forced the caravan to change their plans. The wagons were dead-headed for Philadelphia. But then, Southern soldiers were getting close to Pennsylvania. And they were afraid it would get robbed. So that's when they detoured. So they went up the Allegheny River. And when they got to Dance Run, the story says one of the wagons broke down up on the mountainside. Unable to continue his plan, three of the Union soldiers escorting the caravan reportedly left to get help. But when they returned days later, they found empty wagons. The other soldiers and the gold had vanished without a trace. 
Now, according to the gold story, the Union soldiers robbed the gold. They took part of the gold that they could carry, and they buried the rest someplace around Dens Run. That's what brings the enthusiasm to the story. Now, and that's the- what brings the enthusiasm to the story. <laughs> now, with more enthusiasm, with twice as much. Uh, wow, fun, fun, fun. So, at the very beginning, uh, this is Will Shatner. This is from the uh, Unexplained TV show. Oh, yes, that's right. I've seen this promoted. And uh, he did mention that it was 26 bars. There is conflicting reports. Uh, I think originally in the publication that first sort of made this story uh, widely known, it was 26. Uh, We'll be introduced to a gentleman a little bit later who claims that it was actually double that. Uh, It's all very fascinating Mm. stuff. Um. I do have a little bit of a longer, more detailed backstory. Um, I might save it towards the end if we have time, uh, if you're curious. But uh, I'm going to continue on with the Unexplained series of clips that I got. Uh, because come 1974, there was... Oh, I should I should quick say that this uh, this missing gold was such a big deal that at the time... The Pinkerton Detective Agency came to the area, and lore has it that 3.4, uh, 3.5 gold bars were found. After some of the detectives left the agents, uh, agency, they were said to have spent the rest of their lives in the area looking for the rest of the gold. Mm, as, as one does. As one has to. Yeah. <laughs> if you've got a lead, you got to go with it. No doubt. Uh, so, in 1974... There was a magazine that ended up reporting on this. I do have the link to the original article, if you want to check it out. Um, cool. But the government was able to keep this under wraps because that would that would piss off some people if you just went around parading the notion that the government could lose you know, upwards of 50 uh, gold bars. Mm-hmm. Especially when the Confederacy was hurting so bad. Well, this was Union gold. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that's right. Well, even so, the Union was still hurting. For sure. Yeah, and it was all the gold that they were using to pay the troops and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, payroll. There's a there's a couple of old movies, a John Wayne movie, Rio Bravo, that starts off with a, a gold heist where they, they blow up a train. Big, uh, big business, blowing up trains. Blowing up trains and taking gold. It's uh, That's a quick way to make, make a nice buck, don't you think? Mm-hmm. The, um, uh, 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 oh goodness, I lost it. The Union Gold, uh, yes, so we were talking about this article, the Mount Zion Historical Society, I believe. Ah, yes, that's, uh, we'll we'll get into uh, a little bit about this article at this next clip. Could there be stolen Civil War gold buried somewhere in the Allegheny Mountains? It's certainly an intriguing thought, but there's just one problem. No official government records of the lost gold have ever been found. People would assume that it would be in the record of the U.S. government and the National Archives, but it's not. And the reason it's not is because it would have been a huge embarrassment to the Union, to Lincoln. And it might have caused an economic panic to have this amount of gold go missing. It wasn't until 1974 that an article in Treasure magazine 
brought the mystery of the Dance Run treasure into the public spotlight. The story reported that in 1865, government detectives recovered two and a half bars of gold buried under a pine stump near where the empty wagons were found. In the years since the article was published, a steady stream of treasure hunters have done their own prospecting in the hopes of finding gold at Dent's Run. We're talking about 26 bars of gold. We've had several people come to us, one claiming that they found one bar of gold, another claiming that they found a bar and a half of gold, and you don't know if any of them's true. They're up there looking for it, but I don't think they've found it. Are there more gold bars still buried in the hills of northwestern Pennsylvania? Gold that has been hidden for over 150 years, as treasure hunters believe? Oh, treasure hunters, you say? <laughs> well, here's where the story gets a little interesting. Because there was a, there was a gentleman who read said magazine, and he had a chance encounter with an individual that I actually got a couple of clips on. Pretty fascinating. <coughs> uh, there was a guy who had a company called Finders Keepers, and that is a treasure hunting business. Mm. These uh, companies are bound to exist. Treasure hunting business. And let's hear a little bit on Dennis Parada. Well, while exploring a dry riverbed in 2005, deep the in the of Dance Run... <laughs> It's it's peak Shatner. That's so great. This is this is what Shatner was born to do. Ah, uh, no doubt. Treasure hunters Dennis Parada and his son Cam discovered some intriguing artifacts and a possible hideout that may hold the answer. Right at this location here, we discovered a bonfire pit, and when we dug down about six inches. We found uh, a lot of bottles broken glass, an animal trap, and bullets all over the place up there. All the bullets, the glassware, everything here was dated around the Civil War period. And then I looked off to the left and there was a hole in the mountain. As soon as I came down here and I saw the cave, I was just drawn right in. I had to go in immediately to see what was in there. After descending into the cave to search for more Civil War artifacts, Dennis and his son found signs that they weren't the first people to enter the secluded hollow. My son's looking, and he says, Dad, there's a hole carved into the ceiling for a torch up towards the back of the cave. He put a flashlight in there, and 32 feet back from the entrance, mm. there was a vertical shaft. Dennis and his son were unable to fully explore the narrow cave. But they spent years drilling exploratory holes into the ground above it to search for traces of gold. And then, in 2014, their efforts finally paid off. Oh, yeah. There's no way that this story could have a bad ending, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, some of the items that he found uh, was knives, tin cans, animal traps, human and animal bones, and traces of a fire pit. Uh, subsequent in investigations with, quote, high-powered metal detectors indicated the presence of a large metal object about eight, feet, uh, eight to ten feet under the fire pit. 
Uh, and he's the one that started the claim of 52 gold bars rather than the 26. Oh, so he's to blame for all of this getting blown out of proportion. Um, well, see. Or being actually in on the true number and fighting a suppressed narrative, perhaps? Well, you see, there's, there's a very timeless adage. You might have heard of it. You, under no circumstance, do not talk to the feds. We drill down eight feet, hook up the equipment, gold. Off the scale, our machine's going gold. It's sand, large gold item, 10 inches. So I says 100% the treasure was here, the Civil War treasure. And I'm like screaming, we found it, we found it. Dennis Parada had been working with the state, getting permission from government to doing it the right way, being correctly permitted, but they would not allow him to dig it up. And so I called Denny. And I suggested to him that we work together. I can help him with it. I said, the only way you're likely to see it come out of the ground is to bring the FBI, the feds, into... No! No! What happened next is subject to some (laughs) debate. But according to Dennis Parada, the FBI took control of the dig site in late January of 2018. They conducted a series of scans of the area using a device known as a gravimeter. The gravimeter measures density, and the density of gold is 19.5, and the density of sandstone, which it was hidden in, in a cave underground, is 2.5. The differential would show up hugely in a heat map of that site. They did those measurements over a full day, and they came back with the results that showed a very high reading of gold. That's when things got crazy. The FBI kicked us off, and they said, go home. And then they returned at 8 p.m. that night and dug till the next morning. When the FBI dug, I came up here and I could see what was going on. There was 20-some to 30-some agents up here at all times standing around. The backhoe was digging constantly. When the FBI left, I came back up to the site the next day to retrieve my uh, hidden cameras. And then I ran some tests on the uh, site area. And uh, the, the readings we had before of metal underneath gold and silver were all gone everything was gone wait so to to summarize dennis uh, uh at first reached out to the um oh god what was their name it's the dncr department of some dickhead and cock reach around dipshits a state organization <laughs> uh, yeah it's um i've got it in here somewhere the, the organization of dick cock and balls dick cock and balls uh department of conservation and natural resources um they dicked him around for the longest time wouldn't give him permits to go up there and and dig and if he did he would get uh arrested so to prove that there was the gold up there he would have to like uh like oh no we want to see a chunk of gold in your hand but you have to do it within the super narrow confines of um, actually extracting material. I mean, he was 2000. Okay, so he went out there in 74, uh, putzed around for a while, and then eventually gave up, came back in 2004, and has been working in this case ever since then. Uh, I did see one quote of 
uh, he's put $20,000 of his own money upwards of, or more, I should say more than $20,000 of his own money in. Um, mm-hmm. he's got to get like special, uh, special made, um, core bits and stuff like that. Something that would be able to drill through pig. He found a lot of pig iron out there. And during the civil war, the, uh, pig iron was used for casing and transportation. Um, so once he found that pig iron, it indicated that, oh, I've, I've got a box and there's something on the inside of that box, but I got to drink, you know, it's basically cast iron that you're trying to drill through. Wow. Oh, it's, it's gnarly. It's in an iron casing or it's covered in pig iron bricks. It's, it's like a box made out of pig iron. Okay. Okay. Yep. 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 Ugh. Uh, Good luck with that. It sounds so cool. This this old abandoned, uh, civil war site. Mm hmm. Until all the other shit that you mentioned too, the, the pits and bobs and clothes and trappings and bones. Oh, there's a whole, uh, section where they kept finding evidence of silver. Um, Mm. There's uh, I, I, unfortunately I didn't prep anything in this particular um, group. It, there's a uh, like Southern sympathizers in the area. Uh, it's the organization that John Wilkes Booth was a member of, uh, mm. among among others. It's the Knights of something. Um, the Knights of Booth. But they basically they um they discuss it in one of the podcasts I was listening to for research. Uh, they discuss that, that same area. Um, there was a high potential that it was a dumping site for other groups. So not only did you have this lost union gold, but right beside it was, a um, a treasure trove of silver. Mm. They think there's pirate silver up in there in those mountains in that same little holler. Uh, Shit, it's been a classic hoarding spot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very, very fascinating stuff. Let's uh, let's take a listen into what's uh, going on currently. This is posted six days ago. The FBI says their dig in 2018 looking for Civil War gold here at Dents Run came up empty. But treasure hunters Dennis and Kem Parada, they don't believe so, which is why they've taken this matter to court in recent years, most recently suing the FBI for the records of what really happened here at Dents Run. We were treated good by the FBI up until we showed up on day one. After that, we were more like a hostage type thing. Uh, we were lied to. Uh, things have changed completely at that point. On Monday, a federal judge ruled on the Parada side, saying the FBI must speed up the release of records, ordering the department to turn over 1,000 pages per month starting in 30 days. We believe they took the money under the cover of darkness. They went in that night when they told us to go go home and get a good night's sleep. They violated a court order. They were not supposed to work at night, and they've been uh, uh, obfuscating the truth. An unsealed FBI affidavit says a scan of the dense run area detected a nine-ton mass of gold underneath the ground. Judge Amit Mehta ruled the government must include the EnviroScan's findings in its first batch of documents turned over. That scientific report is going to show the results of the gravimeter, which is a very precise instrument, one of the few that can tell you what you're looking at underground because of the specific density of gold. Parada hopes to go before Congress and present these documents, but he has concerns about the contents inside. 
In the last month, Finders Keepers claimed the FBI told the family they had 17 hours of video files from Dent's Run, now claiming that number is down to just four. We're afraid that if they have 1,000 pictures, we're afraid that a lot of them are going to start disappearing next. So uh, mm. the next 30 days will tell us a lot when we see the stuff come in. We don't know for a fact that documents have disappeared. There's confusion, and our, our, the attorney for Finders Keepers has asked for clarification. Why did it go from 17 to 4? The question of whether or not gold was found here at Dent's Run in 2018 remains unanswered. The FBI, they stand by their statement that nothing was found here in Dent's Run. As for the Paradas and Warren Gettler, they say they were robbed of the moment of being able to see gold come out of the ground. Those bitches, dude. The FBI, dude. Oh, man. He he goes, uh, Dennis and his son Kim go into uh, pretty exquisite detail of just how terrible the agents treated them once they actually got there to the dig site. Uh, in my humble opinion, Dennis has them dead to rights if his claims of having secret trail cameras is true. Um, he's got footage of them digging, uh, he's got personal testimonies from, um, residents in the area saying that one of those nights it was lit up like the 4th of July, they had huge survey lights out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, but he's got, you said this guy has a uh, personal footage of, of them doing that whole dig. He's got trail cams. He, he had hidden trail cams. Um, mm-hmm. he doesn't have anything from that the actual dig um and i admittedly i'm forgetting what the actual uh what was actually on the camera but uh, essentially well, maybe them coming and going from the site i would I, imagine I think, it was, I think it was something to that regards yeah um, yeah it definitely so they probably it, loaded whatever they had into a, a humvee or something and then and then they probably have the footage of like the humvee driving away <laughs> is, is what my guess would be now, I do have a rundown here of some of the discrepancies that came from the uh, FOIA release from the FBI. Ah, the Freedom of Information Act. Mm-hmm. Everyone's favorite. <laughs> On anomalies. The FBI initially turned over hundreds of photos, but rendered them in low-resolution, high-contrast black and white, making it impossible. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> making it impossible to tell the time of day they were taken, or even, in some cases, what they show. The treasure hunters went back and requested several dozen of photos and colors, which the FBI provided. The agency uh. did not provide any video of the second and final day of the dig, nor did it produce any photos or videos showing what the FBI's own hand-drawn map described as a 30-foot-long, 12-foot-deep trench, which the treasure hunters claim could have only been dug overnight. Government lawyers acknowledged these gaps in the photo and video record did not, uh, they acknowledged these gaps, but did not elaborate in a court, court filing last week. Uh, the consulting firm hired by the FBI to assess the possibility of gold produced a report on its findings, but the version given to the treasure hunters seems to be missing key pages. The FBI did not provide any of its agents' travel and expense invoices, which could share, uh, shed further light on the dig timeline. Uh, so, yeah, uh, just very underhanded stuff. You know, they would have... They, the FBI would tell uh, Dennis and Kim and uh, another associate, come out here, meet us at uh, 8 o'clock in the morning. We'll have you on site right at the top of the dig. They get out there. They're told, well, 
just go wait in your car. We'll come get you when we're ready. Six hours mm. later, you know, still nothing. They had to go and get up in somebody's face and like, oh, yeah, you know, come on, come on, come on back. Um, just very, very conniving based off of their uh, testimony. Um, and implied that they treated them well up until they actually started digging. They came up and were probably very cordial and, and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they want to be but, your friend. The feds just want to be your friend, my guy. They just want to be, they're doing it for you. Yeah, this is for your safety. This is for your own good. This is for your democracy. Uh, let's take a listen to uh, what a fed's got to say on the matter. We've identified through our investigation a site that we believe uh, has U.S. property, which includes significant sum of base metal, uh, which is valuable and belongs to the U.S., particularly gold, maybe silver. Uh, this is a 155-year-old cold case. This has been brought to us by a complainant, and uh, we've been able to corroborate a lot of the information, uh, especially through scientific testing. We have information that this was an overland transport of United States property to include gold and potentially silver during the Civil War from the San Francisco Mint to the Philadelphia Mint. Somehow it didn't make it. We are trying to figure that out and also trying to recover that property. Uh, property. Uh, fucked it up there. Um, yeah, it turns out they recanted all that. They deny it. They never found nothing. There is no gold. Go back, go to sleep. Or go back home, go to sleep. <sighs> no dumb. problem. Dumb, dumb, dumb. And the government would, in that position, they, they if the gold were there, I could see them absolutely taking the gold, going, well, this is property of the United States government. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, by the way, this is classified now. But there are laws for finder's fees. Uh, uh, finders, finder keeper law. Let me see if I can find that real quick. Um, finders keepers. Uh, oh, that's an English adage. That's not correct. Knights of the Golden Circle, a secret society to acquire territories as slave states, is what John Wilkes Booth allegedly belonged to. Mm. Ah, yes. Yeah. Knights of the Gold Circle. That's that's it. Um, yeah. I might have to go dig a little more on that. Let's um we're kind of wrapping to a close here. We're gonna go back in time now. Uh we've had to- back in time. We're going back in time. I don't have that back in time hit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what are you gonna do? Uh go back in time. Um, I don't, I don't have that one. Uh, so this next clip, uh, three clips come from the confessionals podcast, Tony Merkel. Uh, I know a lot of the, uh, OBDM folks, uh, are fans of, of, uh, Tony's, um, mm-hmm. and he had, uh, Dennis and Kim on for an hour and a half ish. A uh, long episode. Well, worth checking it out. Uh, out of everything uh, uh, in the notes on my side from tonight, that's the one I would recommend probably the most to go and check out uh, because they do uh, get into detail of just how terrible the DNCR was. I mean, they were like stealing his gear and throwing it away, um, just really underhanded stuff. He gets into the FBI thing. 
Um, but what I clipped from that was actually the thing that stirred him in the first place to actually go out and uh, explore for this gold. And it's, and it's crazy. So we're going to get into this first clip. Enter the psychic. We're on the weekends, we'd go out uh, with metal detectors, simple metal detectors, nothing special. And back just, in 1974, you didn't have much technology back then. Right. <laughs> and uh, we would just go to broken down camps and just look for nickel, dime, quarters, you know, beaches, simple stuff. But uh, I worked at WT Grants, which is more like a Walmart. And I was in the furniture department. And uh, one of my guys, or I bought a book. And it was a treasure hunting book. And on the front page, it's, uh, we have it downstairs. It showed this lost gold in Pennsylvania. Now, up until this point, you weren't allowed to own gold uh, from the World War II up until now. It was illegal because of, uh, they. I don't know, it's a long story there. But now I guess it was legal <laughs> to own gold. And they said in there there was a 10% reward out for anybody that could find the dench run lost gold. And uh, so we got into the reading the story on it. And it was just sitting on the table. A couple of days later, uh, a psychic came into Dense Run. We were told to WT Grants. Or WT Grants. And we were told to stay at our areas and sell furniture. And the, um, I don't know, I didn't believe in psychics. And I seen this guy off to the front of the store and he was up high and uh, all the people were crowding around him. Using them as a promotional gig. Yeah, promotion. And he hit several, many WT grants across the United States. He was on tour. And I uh, I didn't believe any of his stuff. Well, when he got on his uh, lunch break, whatever, there, he came down and walked directly to our furniture department. And uh, he sat right down at the table we had where we wrote up our cells. And there was like uh, five or six uh, salespeople around me. And uh, I slipped behind Mike. And the other guys were in front of Mike. Mike Nowy's his name, the psychic. And uh, they they were talking to him, not about treasure hunting at first. It was just everything in general with his promotion. And Mike reached over and grabbed the magazine. It was laying on the table, and he was paging through it. And my one friend, uh, uh, I can't think of his name either, but he says, uh, have you ever tried to look up uh, treasure hunts or anything like that? And he says, no, mostly you know, lost people, lost objects. But he says, I'll try the treasure hunt. And uh, what do you think the psychic does? If you had to take an educated guess. He starts uh, channeling visions. <laughs> and he opened up the pages and he was speed reading right through the magazine. Because I'm behind, I can see all this going on. And I'm thinking, what a joke. This is ridiculous. And then he shut the magazine and uh, he tilted his head up a little bit. And his voices were coming out of his, his um uh, mouth and from what i can recall it's like three different voices of uh somebody talking and i didn't realize it was at the uh, dead soldiers from the uh, dench run gold shipment at the time uh, i heard him saying they're hungry they're starving or something like that they're lost i don't know i wish i could remember the whole conversation until uh, this day I, I wished i could i wasn't paying that much attention and then when he came out of this trance that everybody was looking at him uh, he came out of the trance and he grabbed my atlas that was there, and he wanted an ink pen. And uh, so I stepped around to the front like everybody else. And I'm watching this guy. And he comes down with an ink pen. He's looking up at the, the ceiling, and he comes down with this ink pen while he's looking up, and he hits this, the uh, map, atlas map. 
And he looks directly at me and he goes, Denny, I don't know how I knew my name. He said, I want you to go to this site and do certain things. So uh, we all looked where he hit the map and damn, it was dense run. And it was on the road right up on that hillside. And uh, that scared the crap out of me that he could do something like that. Uh, and I watched him. His eyes were in the back of his head. or No, his eyes were on the back of his head. It was, uh, he was looking up at the ceiling. And then he came right down, looked right at my eyes, and hit that thing. There was no faking. That was uh, If it was luck, it was damn good luck. Now, he did state mm. in one interview that his original um, drive, I guess, was to prove this psychic wrong. That's why he went out there in the first place with a friend. It was like, ah, you know, this guy's just full of shit. No way. Uh, well, guess what? <laughs> this last clip uh, gets into what happens when uh, he followed the psychic's instructions. He went up there and collected some dirt samples and brought them back. He told us what to do, how to go up there and get some dirt samples. And we did from different mountain spots too, not all yeah. to one location. And I had a Corvette, 69 Corvette, and I went up this dirt road to the spot where he hit with the ink pen. And me and Chris, I think Chris Christofferson was his name, we got out of the vehicle and we took our first dirt sample right there. We called dirt number five, dirt sample five. And then uh, we climbed up the mountain to the left, On uh, almost died climbing up there, took a dirt sample at the top, came back down. Then we drove up the dirt road and there was uh, clay trucks coming up and down. Uh, it was a construction site up ahead, a mining company. We get up there in the top, and it's all mud and stuff. We took two dirt samples up there, then we went around. And wherever you got them from, you had to write one on the lid and put one on the map. Yeah, and two and two, so that you know where each dirt sample came from. Yeah. Then when I got home, I decided to add three more to the list. He only told me to take five, but I end up with eight. Took them out of my dad's garden. And these were in butter dishes, uh, the blue bonnet butter dishes with the white tops. All were blue. And uh, six, seven, I don't know eight, how, I, don't know how I got uh, that many blue butter dishes for <laughs> that period of time. I, have, I still to this day, I don't remember. But anyway, uh, when I got the, the, uh, the, the dirt, I called uh, Mike, and he was up at uh, WT Grants in uh, St. Mary's. So me and Chris drove in the Corvette, drove up there to meet him. I stayed in the parking lot. Chris went inside, brought him out. He came out, sit down in my vehicle. Mike then he grabbed my hand, and uh, with his right hand, he grabbed my left hand. So he was sitting on the passenger seat with his feet out on the ground. Yeah. And the floorboard was to his left, and you were standing here to his right. Yep. And that's where he grabbed. And he took his one hand and just waved it real quick over the floorboard, the passenger side floorboard. And he grabbed number uh, six, seven, and eight, put them on the ground. He said, these have nothing to do with this. By then, my heart was beating fast. Wow. But then he went back in the second time, did one quick swipe, and he picked out number five. And he says, Denny, you're within 500 feet of the gold. 500 feet of the gold, baby. There it is. Gee willikers. Yep. So if anybody's got some Hex the Fed karma out there for ye old Dennis Parada, he could probably use it right about now. Indeed, we're giving a collective F the Fed karma to Mr. Prada. No doubt. And, um, yeah, you know, he he's on record a couple times saying, like, because, you know, there's no way that he's going to get uh, anywhere near the actual amount of what that gold is worth. Um, I'm still trying to find the numbers. I'm, I'm not having much luck. 
for the finders keepers laws. Um, but at the very least, like just let the guy watch the gold get pulled out of the dirt. I yeah, imagine. just give him a little whiff of it, you know. Just let him watch. One pound of gold is currently twenty-two thousand dollars, over twenty-two thousand. So what? Are you assuming that every bar of gold is a one-pound bar? It was estimated to be. Let me find that number. Uh, each uh, each gold bar was fifty pounds. Each gold bar was fifty pounds. Yep, fifty fucking pounds. So. If we take 22, 200 we'll around there, we'll multiply that by 50. So each bar of gold is worth $1,110,000. And then we assume that there's 50 bars of that. 52. 52 bars of that. That comes out to 57, almost $58 million. Yep. Pretty cool. Pretty sweet. You know what the really sad part is? <laughs> That's only a drop in the bucket of what we sent to Ukraine. <laughs> Dude, I read somewhere today that <coughs> that we've sent more money to Ukraine in one year than we spent in Afghanistan in almost a decade. Mm, 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 mm. I mean, fuck these people, man. Jesus Christ, what a pushed war. So pushed. It's really kind of horrifying how it really is horrifying how how many people support war and support just the act of war. Why are you so fucking proud that teenage boys are getting sent out there to die and that and that Nazi Ukrainians are running around harassing their own people? I mean, what's wrong with people, man? Uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but they're kind of like part of the solution. And if you're going to like talk shit on them then you're definitely not a part of the solution uh, and, uh, yeah you're actually like um i'm part, almost there keep going part of the problem oh yeah like, yeah yeah you people am i right the, oh yeah that's what i want to hear <laughs> <laughs> uh what was it mmo uh it was 48 percent of people were in favor of supporting ukraine the american population like God, forty-eight percent, yeah, and some bull pole that doesn't matter. Yeah, 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 yeah. No one cares, uh, except for the people that you know eat it up on TV or whatever. I don't know. White people. It's probably just white people. <laughs> white people. Am I right? Am I right, people? <laughs> 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 Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's all I got on Dennis Parada. Um, yeah, you know, really just hope him the best. Yes, good luck. Those feds are dicks. Mm-hmm. Definitely go check out that uh confessionals episode I got linked. It's uh it's it's a very unique story. It's a very Americana story. Yeah, classic Americana, you know. Guy listens to psychic. Guy finds Union Civil War gold. Feds come and fuck him. 
It's as it's as American as it gets, really. <laughs> Hardworking American man. That's getting a- screwed by the government once more. Mm. That bed's that cherry, baby. Oh, they love it. They love it. They're just greasing themselves up before they go to this guy's house. Oh, God, I can't <laughs> wait. can't fucking wait to think this guy's gold. I'll twerk my nipples while I tell him that we're going to have him sit in this car. <laughs> oh, God, sorry. These low-res black and white pictures are all we got, buddy. Sorry about that. Oh, here you go. <laughs> Ooh, the contrast, the contrast, the contrast, the contrast. Oh, you're going to have to fill that out in triplicate. Oh, I'll get you more later. Oh, God. Oh, if you talk to the press, we're going to arrest you. You're in trouble. You're in trouble now, buddy. <laughs> nice trail cams, bitch. I don't know if you're aware of this, but you just crossed the wrong motherfuckers. We are the Federal Bureau of <laughs> Dickheads. I want, if I ever meet a, a fed, for him to talk just like that. Listen here, boy. Listen, buddy. We're doing this for your safety and your safety alone. America. This is for what, America, damn it. Oh, man. Let's play a voicemail for America. Let's do it. Hello? Hello? So what are you guys wearing? Nothing. Mm, very little. But seriously. Seriously, very little. I mean, I just got off work, so I'm just kind of wearing some jeans and shoes and t-shirt jacket and stuff like that. But yeah. Anyway, uh, scream. Uh, since I don't know, maybe I'll try to give a realistic, a real screen for when it comes, but this is because, uh, I was a dummy and should have ordered the part that I already kind of knew was failing, uh, for the water mm. heater a while ago. And now it's like out, out. And so I got the long run today. And so I know I get to come home after cold day, after cold long run and hop into a shower that's going to have zero warmth to it. So that's going to be the stream of, <laughs> mm, Joker running, scream. You can't just, you know, like, can't just kind of like, how, how did George Carlin say it? You know, wash the five key areas or whatever, butt, crotch, armpit, face. I don't remember, but, you know, he's like, you got to make sure what order you do it in. Uh, I, don't, I don't, anyway, but yeah. No, live life uh, to yeah, the you max. Gotta, you know, you got to take a full on shower after running. Like, you got to get, you got to get everything because you'd be dirty. Um, you maybe if it's raining, I just go take a bar of soap out there, but I don't think mm. it's gonna be raining when I'm running, so sad, but yeah, all right, sad. So the preemptive scream, I guess that's how we're gonna do it today, but yeah, you know, if a part starts to fail or you know, something like that, go ahead and get it ordered, especially when it's only like $20, cause you know, just, just get it ahead of time. It's worth it, you know. Plus, your uh, your spouse will probably appreciate it more. If, uh, yeah. Anyway, another story. All right, well, I love you guys. That dangerous, Mr. Leviash and Booberry Mothman yep. of the Trickling Brook. And uh, <laughs> you all know what to do, but just go ahead and do it anyway. Give a little cacao! Cacao! Oh my goodness. Trickling Brook. Beautiful. The Mothman of the Trickling Brook. Kakalar is a poet. Yes. Thank you, Kakalar, for calling us always. 
Good luck on the run. And, you know, a cold shower does one good sometimes. I've heard uh, cold showers are uh, can be fairly beneficial. More effective at waking you up than a, a hot cup of coffee in the morning. They do wake you up. As a matter of fact, one time before we did this show, I took a cold shower. I remember it very vividly. And you know what? It was a great show. I remember being in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, that little uh, dinky theater, and we finished up a loadout. And, uh, you know, typically I'm like, I really got to take a shower. I don't like getting into the bus and sleeping in my own stew, you know? No, of course. And uh, so I go down with my buddy Skirty, and, uh, <laughs> well, there's no hot, hot water uh, in the showers, which, okay, you know, it's like February and. Indiana, it's not cold. That's a lie. And yeah, uh, yeah. I realized that once I actually got the shower rolling, that uh, not only was there no hot water, but I also showed up without a towel. Ah. <laughs> so you've gone now from discomfort to potential hypothermia. Uh, Houston, we got a problem here. Uh, uh, you shake that off. Thankfully, my buddy uh, Skirty was gracious enough to um, let me use part of his towel. I was like, just save me a space where he didn't dry your balls Just give off. me a corner. Yeah. Just give me a corner of the towel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to have a towel man and a, and a corner man. I would have been fucked if he wasn't down there. Straight up. Straight up. So why it's the most important advice in the universe. Douglas Adams said it himself. And you have Don't Panic tattooed on your body, I believe. I do. Never forget your towel. You cannot forget your towel. Never forget your towel. Um, towel pick up floor wet. That is not a towel. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that was. <laughs> um, yeah. I should get a towel tattoo. What do you got for intermission here? <laughs> Towel tattoos for life. Excuse me. In, in some, you go to the t- the tattoo parlor, and the guy's like, "Oh my god, that's the fifth one this week. What in the fuck are people getting towel tattoos for?" It's a collective effort. What's uh, the deal with all these towel tattoos? What's up with towels? <laughs> you get out of the shower, you you're wet. The towel's dry. Then the towel's wet, and you're dry. What's the deal? Uh, let's see here. Uh, what for the intermission? We have uh, an eclectic selection of selections, mm. and I hope that you enjoy. Oh, one tr- track that we have on there is a, is an old cylinder, an Edison cylinder. Oh, cool wax it cylinder! Has been exactly the the OG uh, transcribed for your pleasure. Hmm, very legal. I should also find some uh, do some show art up, like Mothman with a wet towel. <laughs> Getting out of the moth spot. We'll be right back after this quick intermission.
accordion solo medley of straight jigs played by Mr. John J. Kimball, Edison Records. Ведь мы как огнем ладони старых площадей И я и 
ту меня никто, никто не встретит А лунный свет заставил вспомнить вновь о ней И я иду, меня никто, никто не встретит А лунный свет заставил вспомнить вновь о ней Сияние золота на Анечковом коне Блистает золото в суворот над небой как же вы не знали юноша в фальконе А тень в фальконе будет следует за мной А как же вы не знали юноша в фальконе А тень в фальконе будет следует за мной Back to the second second half of show for Behind the Schemes episode one forty one. That is correct. It is February twenty seventh, twenty twenty three, the second to last day of February, and it is currently nine twenty two p.m. here on the breath, which means it's eleven twenty two over there in the central, which means it is one two 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 over there on the beast coast. Bully Steed came in with five ones. That's one, 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 one <laughs> sets. Uh, saying BTS intermission music, the creamy center via uh, fountain. Give us the JB boost. It was a very creamy uh, intermission. Well, thank you. Thank you, everybody. Who, so all who enjoyed the intermission. Uh, it's a, one of my favorite things to do with the show, honestly. It's, it's a lot of fun. No doubts. We do music and we do talking. We do both kinds of music in the podcast world. <laughs> uh, well, this is the part of the show where we like to take a moment to thank all of the people that uh, uh, help produce this show. Uh, we like to call them Freaks of Hazards. Uh, also, uh, I did find this. Uh, oh, there we go. What a bunch of freaks. <laughs> yeah. Bunch of freaks. And I like to get freaky with that value for value model, you know. Yeah, we had a couple people uh come out this week that we definitely want to thank. 
uh, and it was a whole slew of monthly donations. We had both, oh, beautiful. both Captain Oblivious and Tuta coming through with their respective donations of $5.55 and $3.33. Nice. Thank you, Captain Oblivious, and thank you, Junta. Yes. And we also had beautiful, a- beautiful men, you know. Most beautiful. The uh the room stopped. The air was sucked out. <laughs> everybody knew <laughs> that everybody was coming. And everybody came and came again. In the coming and coming. Oh. Crabs, crayfish, lobster, all coming. Mm. Uh, hmm. We also had a new uh, monthly donation get set up, and it comes from none other than Spaz and Mama Berry. Whoa! And we set it up to be uh, roughly about $3.33 every month for every episode, so it comes to $9.99, which also just happens to uh, ring so well with our telephone number. Indeed. 999. Yeah, well, so- thank you very much, Spaz and Mama Berry. That's awfully kind of you. Yeah, so we put all those monthly donations towards uh, s- the sort of infant structure. In- infant structure? Infant the structure. Infant, infant structure. The infant structure. <laughs> uh, which includes spook.social, which is a, mos- a Macedon instance that we host ourselves. Uh, so if you Yeah, want- way cooler than Twitter. Oh, most definitely. If you want to check it out, totally free to come uh, play. That's spook.social. Indeed, spook.social. Easy to remember and all that. And if you forget, you can always go to zososcorner.substack.com. That's our show notes page where we'll have links to everything and also where all these freaks of hazards that we're thinking right now are right front, up, and center. You can gaze at their magnificence there. And the one other person I wanted to quick say thank you to was Midnight Mike of OBDM. He's spent some time with me uh, this past week. Helping me tune out the system and getting a nice EQ applied to my mic. And I've uh, did my best to uh, transfer it to lavish. So if you notice a little bit of a difference in the, in the tone of our voices, uh, that's thanks to midnight Mike. Thank you, midnight Mike. And uh, our big dumb mouth, of course, is a fantastically popular podcast that if you haven't listened to, you should check it out. Yeah. What the fuck are you even doing with your life? Eat it, eat it, eat it. That's right. That's right. Live twice a week over at OBDM Pod or Twitch specifically uh, every Uh, Wednesday and Saturday. And of course, uh, all the other the the, all the other homies over there at OBDM. You got Cratchit, you got Joe. Mm -hmm. Get the crew. So shout out to them. Thank you, thank you, folks, for the uh, the tuning. Yes, thank you, guys. Um, and that was it. I see you got one in here. I got one in there myself. Uh, Private Browsing sent me a picture of this tagged up desk uh, at a middle school. Uh, you see, you see the graffiti there. I do. Uh oh. I think Pizza saw the writing on the wall as well. <laughs> uh, he's he's making the uh, the the canvas as as to which to write. Ooh, yeah. All right, little boys, line up their coats. It's time. 
There's just some go. some uh, live podcasting. Rip it. You're so fucking fired. That was the most satanic Illuminati thing I've seen in a while. This is when he got the tarp out. Yep. <laughs> I got the tarp out. Let get this tarp off me. Uh, let's uh, just a moment of silence, please, for the carnage. Oh, oh, oh. You're right. This show does need more Gregorian chants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love Greg. He's a cool guy. Oh, Greg. My my goodness, Pitar, just, again, senseless, violent, uh, just, just a slaughter fest. That's just what the doctor ordered. This, this is the true power of a nude podcast app. This is what you've been missing. God. All along. I need a Satan vocoder. Damn it. (laughs) Oh, so many goats. <laughs> so many, so many dead goats. In so many different ways that the goat is slaughtered. The katana. The shotgun blast. Mm. Shot it. The Super Smash the head, KO. Out of his misery. Yeah, just blast that thing. Damn. I don't often hear the baseball bat. I'm curious as to what's going on there. Well, we got to make it less random so it seems more random. I just I don't think it comes I don't think it ever gets fired Um, I hear it now and again hmm hmm Uh, do we count them up how many was that one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen another lucky thirteen goats (laughs) more like unlucky yes indeed they're not so happy now, disemboweled on the floor. <laughs> but you know, that's fine. They're going to make a tasty snack later, so it's all worth it. And please, as always, I don't, I really don't stress this enough. Just please be careful around the entrails. Definitely don't want anybody twisting an ankle tonight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, walk, don't run. There you go. You want to slip and slide around. <laughs> I too, Bemrose, have learned something from this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we can all be Bemrose on this holy day. <laughs> Let's be Bemrose together. Let us. Welcome to the Bemrose Garden. Uh, Goat jerk curry on the menu at BTS. You're absolutely right, Bully Steed. Uh, we don't say it enough, but uh, we should definitely thank ryan bemrose for uh, allowing us to have time on the no agenda stream and he also keeps our show in the uh the rotation for the uh 24-hour stream so we definitely very much appreciate it as always sir bemrose yes thank you thank you very much sir bemrose for everything that you do 
and for supporting the schemes as well. Yeah. He does a couple of shows, Angry Tech News and uh, Grumpy Old Ben's. Uh, Angry Tech News is live. I got to get on that. I know. I know. It's it's at a bad time of the day for me, but it's uh, definitely check that out. And yeah, Grumpy Old Ben's, I guess, is, is pre- going pretty steady these days. Steady stream. Yeah, love it. That's what the people wanted. The people demanded more Grumpy Old Ben's. And boy, how did they get it? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, man. Oh, goodness. I mean, he does a show with this guy called Lavash, who just blows it out of the park. Uh, it's always up near which one you're going to play. <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's do a scream out and, uh, yeah, continue on with the show. Damn Let it. us. Let's oh. see. Give us oh. a call, though, if anybody wants to. 612-263-7999. I should say quick during intermission. Uh, C-Dubs came in with an 8888. Uh, ah. I, shocked is, the camp. And he's boosting from the podcast index like a crazy mofo. Nice. And that's right. You can look up our show at podcastindex.org. Search us up, and you can boost us straight from there. And uh, God damn, he was doing it. He got 88, 88, 55, 55, 33, 33, 22, 22, 11, 11. Nice. In that order. One, two, is it, is it a Fibonacci? Am I, am I crazy? Uh, one plus two is three. Two plus three is five. Three plus five is eight. Yep, there you go. Uh, it was a Fibonacci. There you go. Bam, bam, wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. And quadruple. Fibonacci. Mm. Fib. Yeah. Let's uh scream out. Let's let's scream it up. Yes. So I swear, I was in the pool. I was in the pool. <laughs> oh, oh, oh boy, oh boy, man, Kaka. I feel like we should get wet with collar. Feel like, oh, ew! I don't like this one. I'm all, yeah, my shoes. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> My shoes. The, <laughs> <laughs> you asshole. Um, what caller needs to go to the Hamptons? Mm, there you go. Yeah. Or perhaps a Hilton. Not an ad. Mm, or the Hilton Hamptons. <laughs> yeah, we're going to bleep all this out. A, a Ramada. A Ramada Inn. Perhaps. Ramada. Ramada. Barely know her. Hardly. Oh, shit. Oh. Fuck. Yeah, I know. Uh, another, uh, you could go to hotel. Yeah, and you can get a big old slab of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, beauty. Or check yourself into a crack motel collar. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The Hamptons, though. The Hamptons, though. Yeah. Hamptons, where it's at? It's where it's at. That's where that's where George likes to go. But, get in the pool. But motel. If you want to smoke crack, that's fine. 
Motels are a very special place where the rules don't apply, but they're everywhere. Mm. Uh, pro tip from behind the schemes. Another thing, another day, <laughs> another lesson. <laughs> Learn something new. I know. Uh, shall I? Shall yes. I peruse into this thing that I've just this thing that I found? I found this uh, sort of documentary type of thing that really had some excellent people in it that they were interviewing. Um, and this was all about how the CIA was influencing art uh, after, the, after World War II came to a close. Most definitely. And so going into the Cold War, actually, let's just play the first clip, get to it. Oh my god. Yes. Yeah. That's right. You ready yes. for this shit? Yes. Oh my god. For centuries, rulers worldwide have forked out fortunes to promote the arts. Rarely have they done so in secret. This program tells a bizarre story. How, during the Cold War, an arm of the US government provided covert funding for a huge variety of cultural activity. Intriguingly, this included work by some of the most resonant names in modernist art. Jackson Pollock, Willem de Kooning, Mark Rothko. Even today, much of the arts establishment refuses to address the issue of this covert patronage, or even acknowledge the existence of these hidden hands. For the patron was the Central Intelligence Agency. It's my contention that the CIA not only engaged in a cultural cold war in the abstract and purely pragmatic way, but that they had very definite aims in view and they had a very definite aesthetic. The idea that uh, the world would succumb to a kind of fascist or Stalinist concept of art and literature and music, that this was to be the... Uh, the wave of the future. As you look back on it, even now, it's a horrifying prospect. Mm. Horrifying. Mm. And that uh, who is speaking at the end there is going to be sort of the main subject that we're going to focus on. Tom Braden. Does the name ring any bells to you, Tom Braden? He does not. Ring uh, any bells. You know about CNN's Crossfire? E yeah. It used to be much more. Uh, famous, I mean, I don't even know if it's still going today, but back in the day, Crossfire used to be a big show. It used to be one of CNN's biggest, biggest shows. And it was all about, you know, political debate and having very uh, smart experts come on and argue about stuff. And Tom Braden is one of the OG members of the CIA. This guy, we'll get into his history a little more in depth later, but he was part of the original British intelligence uh, branch that the Americans were co-oping with, uh, which led to the OSS, which was the predecessor to the CIA. Um, and then when the OSS became the CIA uh, under Harry Truman in 47, uh, he, was, he was there on the ground floor. And uh, he, has, he talks very openly about all of the covert funding and promoting and all of the little meddling that they were doing on American soil uh, 
in the late 40s and early to mid 50s in particular and how how they were combating the sinister elements of the communist threat how would they how do you think that they should fight the communists booberry necrophilia which is sex with the dead I agree. <laughs> that's a uh, funny enough. That's a uh, the only crossfire ISO I got. <laughs> oh, there you go. Perfect. Uh, you hmm. took the words from my mouth, from my dolt, my dead cold mouth. Well, I mean, what do you fight culture with other than more culture? That's right. You fight fire with fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the communists. What kind of art do you think that they're supporting at this time? What kind of art is communist art? Our art is communist art. That's true, comrade. Uh, they, they, but they're not, you know, they're very conservative, is, is the idea with these communists. They like the regal stuff. They like the old romantics. Um, some might even call them stuffy, stodgy, living in the past. Mm. Uh, if you are perhaps a fan of a more modern art. I guess I could see that with fascists, but communists, I, I, it's harder for me to make the connection there because it, it feels like fine art would be the remnants of the bourgeoisie, um, and there wouldn't be any time for the appreciation of art when there's harvest to go be had, comrade. Sure, then that's a good take on it. Uh, you would imagine in that vein that, yeah, they would reject the old ways, the bourgeoisie, but there is this sort of implication that that is... The, the old style, and that is what the, the communists are trying to promote. They're trying to promote the old masters and uh, reject the new and censor the new. This is, this is the messaging of the CIA. Let's play the second clip. During the Cold War, part of the U.S. government's cultural program was to put forward the claim that there was no such program and that the uh, uh, the mm, creative works <laughs> of uh, composers and movie makers and artists and so forth were done entirely independently when in fact that was not necessarily true but as far as as the attitudes that the agency wanted to inspire through these activities clearly uh what they would like to have been able to produce were people who of their own reasoning and conviction were persuaded that everything the united states government did was right Autumn, Paris, 1955. <laughs> the National Museum of Modern Art, an exhibition is about to open its doors. The exhibition, which has been seen in nearly every European capital, is called Modern Art in the United States and is partly dedicated to abstract art. A new art movement known as Abstract Expressionism dominates. There are major paintings by artists who are to change the course of post-war art history. There's work by Willem de Kooning, by Arshil Gorky, by William Baziotis. <laughs> Most of all, there's a group of paintings by Jackson Pollock. This sole surviving film reveals Pollock's splurgy random technique as a shocking departure from recognized forms of painting. Nicknamed Jack the Dripper, he and the other abstract expressionists are unconventional, even oddballs. Several have been communists or communist sympathizers. Pollock had been actively involved in communist artists' workshops, both in the States and in Mexico. In this rare photograph, he's helping to assemble a float for a May Day celebration, portraying the destruction of Wall Street by an angry working class. Willem de Kooning and Arshil Gorky also collaborated. And along with Pollock, 
They were prominent in the 1955 Paris exhibition. I feel like Jackie the Dripper would would have been a more appropriate name. Jackie the Dripper? Yeah. Well, you know Jack the Ripper. <laughs> yes, I'm, it, I'm, I'm I mean, familiar. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know a Jackie the, the Ripper. I know. I'm just trying to I, be lewd. I know. Okay, I see. You're jacking the Dripper. Okay. Okay. You're a dirty, dirty man. And I'm glad. I'm very uh, glad. I've heard. I've heard from sources. Uh, perhaps the horniest man in 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 the business. <laughs> <laughs> in what business? <laughs> in the business of podcasting. Oh, I was in the business of lovemaking. <laughs> business is good, real good. Oh god! Business oh my booming. god! What a slut! Oh. A slut! <laughs> hey, Horace, how's it going? Hey, Horace, how's it going? I was thinking slutty podcaster, but. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, Paris, 1955. The MoMA hosts the largest American collection of modern art to travel abroad at any point in history. Um, this endeavor is, uh, for the most part, funded and organized by the CIA and their officers, including Tom Braden and William Colby. Uh, I have information on them in the show notes. And then they mentioned these artists, these various artists, and we'll start going through them kind of name by name. But I have samples of their work in the show notes, and I also have this picture that they were talking about of young Jackson Pollock in Mexico uh, building this set piece, or painting a set piece, that looks like a hammer smashing into Wall Street. Uh, nice little bit there. Yeah, not Selection. bad, not bad. Not too bad, not too I, bad. I, I, I can understand the sentiment. Yeah, isn't that a very humanizing little picture of him? He's just a, a lowly boy set painter. You know? Mm-hmm. And a communist sympathizer. Uh-oh. So you have you have these obviously leftist artists uh that in, in some in many cases are actually from poverty. They're not really a part of the inner circle, as it were, like these Ivy League uh, CIA boys are. And they get plucked kind of out of obscurity and they get put on this display at the, uh, the 1955 uh, modern art museum in Paris. And the place isn't really taking, I mean, it's not like, you know, France likes to act now like they are the birthplace of abstract expressionism and the modern art movement as we know it today. But there's a lot of evidence that they were very reluctant to this sort of art. That was being produced by painters such as, we mentioned Jackson Pollock, uh, Willem de Kooning, Mark Rothko, uh, Arshel Gorky, William Baziotes, and many more. We have uh, in the show notes a picture or a PDF of the actual press release uh, that New York City, from New York City in 1955, the official press release for this event. It's a beautiful old. Uh, typewritten piece of text that's been oh that's thankfully a, that's what you linked in the chat uh yeah the i believe i linked the whole thing yeah about four pages it's about four pages so on the i think the second or third page we have a list of the actual painting sculptures and artists which included a, a number of non-modern non-abstract art but for the abstract guys, we had Mark Toby, Gorky, de Kooning, Pollock, uh, Vesiotis, Rothko, 
Franz Klein. And then on top of that, they also had sculptors and they had uh, old school painters, uh, classic New York uh, painters that were uh, showcased as well. And even one Japanese American artist, which was, I'm sure, very progressive at that time. Uh, coming out of World War II, especially. So we have uh, this little uh, show that the, the CIA puts on. They're trying to push. They're trying to push, push, push. And uh, and they don't seem to really be too warm to it, all these French and American critics. If you play the third clip, critics be damned. The show got a mixed reception. One critic said, There is nothing complicated about these works, though volumes have been written on them, and they fetch very high prices. They are complete nonsense. Now and later, many prominent art critics derided abstract expressionism. I'll tell you this, that in the Sunday Times, John Russell wrote about Pollock, we have it on the authority of the catalogue that this artist actually slapped the canvas with paint-covered hands. I do not think in this case it was the canvas that deserved the slap. (laughs) (laughs) But the show, with its so-called common sympathizer artists, has a secret patron working covertly at several removes from the show's organizers and frontmen. It's the CIA. There is a perverse way of looking at this question, which is to say the CIA took art very seriously. The great things about politicians when they get involved in art is it means something to them, whether it's the fascists or it's the Soviets or the American CIA. So there may be a really perverse argument that says the CIA were the best art critics in America in the 50s because they saw work that actually should have been antipathetic to them, made by old lefties coming out of European surrealism, and they saw the potential power in that kind of art and ran with it. You couldn't say that of many of the art critics of the time. Antipathetic adjective, having or showing a strong aversion or repugnance. Mm, to the very things, yes, that they 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 should have shunned. Why why were the CIA drawn to these these abstract, weird, lefty artists? Is it true that they were the finest art critics of the nineteen fifties? Well, I would consider the CIA an operation of white supremacists, and if I learned anything from MoFax is that white supremacists operate both sides. They do. We play it all, baby. And there will be eventually a struggle, which will come up a little later. A struggle on the home front on who thinks that this abstract art is a communist threat and who thinks that it is an American tool for spreading freedom. Oh, dude. It's it's so fucking... I, I just... I don't, I don't understand it. Because in the fight... To stop the spread of communism, I can't think of a organization that spread more communism than the CIA. <laughs> they certainly did. Uh, They're like the Communist Intelligence Agency or something. Yeah, I mean, they I, definitely made sure the just the whole free love push. I mean, that was not. I'm sorry if you heard it here for the first time. My apologies, but the the free love movement. During the 60s, not an organic thing. Oh, no. And a lot of these uh, sort of uh, offshoot terrorist organizations that they call them now, but like the Black Panthers or the uh, the Weathermen out of San Francisco that actually 
tried to blow stuff up. Oh, the they weather, were all infiltrated by intelligence agencies the from the very beginning. Yeah. The weather underground, the weathermen, yeah. Ooh, I'd love to do an episode on them, especially since uh, our last Soros back DA in San Francisco was actually the progeny of two leading members of the weathermen. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, it's great. So we have here the CIA who on one hand are indeed trying to stop communism in a very hokey, uh, militaristic way that obviously is riddled with hypocrisy and, and, um, and they're <laughs> accomplishing the exact opposite of what they're saying that they're setting out to do. But on the other hand, you have the people themselves, and you got to remember, the original CIA, the OG boys, were cut from a different cloth. These guys were veterans, a lot of them, and they fought in World War II, and they were there to see some of the most dynamic advancements in military strategy and technology that had come since, since the Civil War, or since World War I, I should say. Herculean uh, leaps forward, just one right after the other. Indeed. And these guys, especially Tom Braden, who they fucking really get a lot of great uh, conversation from him. So it's great. It's always good to hear from the man himself, who really doesn't have any qualms talking about this and is actually very proud of it. Um, but he, they're in a situation where these guys, they actually do care about art because they're all cultured, worldly, highly educated guys who did fight in in war and traveled the world and was exposed to european art and they have these connections with all of the great museums the guggenheim and and uh, and the whitney and these guys this is what they do they they are bougie art collector types and so you start to see that there's a blend somewhere much like on the palette itself where the two motivations come together stop communism and also let's have a lot of fun at fun art parties and drink and travel the world who knew saving democracy could just be so incredibly fun it's when i read about these guys i just think to myself god what a good time these guys must have had yeah just such a blast you're going from slinging art to slinging acid to slinging uh i guess coke like what a mm-hmm. what a life. I know. Do you know about uh this uh fucking spook wiki spooks? Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I I just discovered that I didn't even know this existed for a long time. I can't believe it. But uh, they they talk about uh on, on his page, because of course he has a page. He he's the head of the International Organizations Division, the IOD, which is the branch of the CIA that is doing what we're talking about here. And, uh, and yeah, he was, he was all over the place. He was all over Asia. Hell of a guy. Anyway, let's uh, continue on, shall we? Let's play clip four. Peace and initiatives. All right. I will play. Let me get the, uh, the live show leveler on so I can play clips at, uh, the proper volume. The CIA's involvement with America's avant-garde raises difficult and unavoidable questions. Were the artists themselves compromised by this liaison, even if most of them knew nothing about it? Would abstract expressionism, and indeed the whole shift of cultural supremacy from Paris to New York, have taken place post-war in quite such a dramatic manner without this sponsorship? And what in God's name was the CIA doing in the business of art sponsorship anyway? Weren't they meant to be collecting intelligence and toppling foreign political opponents? 
there was one overpowering reason for the CIA's involvement, the Cold War. The inclusion of culture and art as weapons in the fight against communism became active policy within months of the end of the military war in Europe and the opening of the Cold War. Historians today argue over the causes of the Cold War and the extent to which Russia or America was to blame. But there's no doubting the widespread fear in the West of the Soviet Union. Well, remember, in the, at the end of World War II, the United States had 12 million in our armed forces. About a year later, we had about a million and a half. We just sent them all home, sent them back to college, sent them back, came home, got jobs, started making televisions and all that. The Red Army stayed almost intact. It stayed at the five million level. And obviously they did not uh, demobilize the way we did. So there was a clear sense of danger that uh, they were powerful and they could be powerful. But the perceived threat was not just a military one. There was a growing preoccupation that the Soviets had got the upper hand on the propaganda front. Long live peace. Long live the friendship of the peoples. These slogans inspire the working people of all lands. Particularly worrying for successive American administrations were Soviet attempts to rally world opinion to their many peace initiatives. <laughs> I love all the bumpers in this. The really good I stuff. <laughs> it's so good. It's so satisfying to hear. Uh, yeah, so the, the Russians start having peace initiatives, Booberry. How militaristic of them. Mm, this poss- this cannot possibly stand. This cannot stand. The Russians are coming over. They're going to the Waldorf in New York City, and they're communicating with their enemies up close and personal on their own soil, and they're hosting dirty, filthy communist peace initiatives. No good. Fucking act of global diplomatic strong-arming, if you, if you ever fucking heard of one there. Bad stuff. But thank God we've got all-American hero and glorious man Tom Braden of the CIA to save us all. If you could please play the next clip, Tom Braden. But why were the cold warriors of the CIA attracted to the avant-garde? Combating communism on all fronts was a high American priority. The image presented in Namuth's film of Jackson Pollock, with his outre nonconformist technique, seems at odds with the government program. In fact, using abstract expressionism was a clever maneuver, and CIA staffers were perfectly suited to the task. Most people don't understand uh, or will be surprised by this statement, but most of the, quote, cold warriors were liberals, and this is particularly true about uh, the personalities that we know were, that, that dominated the, the Central Intelligence Agency. They were men who came out of OSS, and before that, they were often graduates of Groton School or some of the old line prep schools on the eastern uh, seaboard of this country. Uh, then they went on to Harvard and particularly Yale. 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 <laughs> and uh, they were, as such, culturally liberals in, in this society. The American government under President Harry S. Truman formally established the CIA in 1947. It replaced its wartime predecessor, the Office of Strategic Services, which was also known as the Oso Social, on account of its smart Ivy League character. Initially, the CIA worked out of a scatter of anonymous buildings around Washington. In 1950, the CIA established a special department called the International Organizations Division, or IOD for short. 
The IOD was the hothouse where the CIA's cultural policy and art campaigns were conceived and nurtured. The first boss of the IOD, and indeed the brains behind the CIA's cultural Cold War campaign, was case officer Tom Braden. We wanted to unite all the people who were writers, who were musicians, who were artists, and all the people who follow those people. You know, the people like you and me who go to concerts or visit art galleries to demonstrate that the West and the United States was devoted to freedom of expression and to intellectual achievement without any rigid barriers as to what you must write and what you must say and what you must do and what you must paint which was what was going on in the Soviet Union. Uh, I think we did it damn well. <laughs> Squal- did it damn well. Squalor Bill, fruity beatniks. <laughs> <laughs> Goddamn hippies. <laughs> yes, this is Tom Braden himself insisting that their subterfuge was necessary to enforce the freedom of expression. You see, they were enforcing the freedom. So that they so desperately were wishing for that they were trying to attain in the fifties, and you got to remember the fifties was was a very positive time. People were hopeful for the future. Well, in in the movie that we discussed last week, Harrison Bergeron, everything is stylized in that movie to be uh, based off the nineteen fifties: the clothes, the cars, the the homes, the furniture, the architecture, because the nineteen fifties allegedly, according to that movie is when we were at our happiest. We were at our happiest, but we were also at our most homogenous. And everybody was on the same page as far as trusting the government and loving your country, for the most part. Yeah, you for know, the most part. Every, every little nuclear family house with the white picket fence got a girl standing in the front of the driveway with a ball, and there's a whole street of girls with Balls bouncing them in unison. Mm. Sounds like heaven. Uh. <laughs> you know, Booberry, it used to be such a wonderful, happy time that even CIA agents used to be respected members of the community. Oh. This is true. Please play individualism through subversion. Men like Tom Braden and William Colby and many of their colleagues in the CIA had impeccable credentials. Debonair Ivy Leaguers, they collected art and wrote books. They were comfortable talking about intellectual issues, and they enjoyed high-level contacts in the world of politics, culture, and finance. In those days, it's hard, I think, for people, particularly of a younger generation, to understand the degree to which the government and its activities had the confidence of the people. There Mm. was almost nobody in this country that I couldn't go to in those days and say, I'm from the CIA, and I'd like to ask you about so-and-so, and at the very least get a respectful reception and a discussion. The The CIA staffers Mm -hmm. were drawn to abstract expressionism for clear reasons. It was new, fresh, and creative. It was the perfect contrast to the regimented, narrow social realism favored by the communists. 
It was the kind of art totalitarian dictators love to hate. Regarding various forms of art, including such things as the uh, abstract expressionism, other avant-garde art, I'd love to be able to say that the CIA admitted it all and just to see what happened in New York about his own tomorrow. Oh but uh, I think that what they did really was to recognize the difference, and in a way, their understanding was helped because Moscow in those days was very vicious in its denunciation of any kind of, of non-conformity to its own very rigid patterns, and so one could quite adequately and accurately reason that anything they criticized that much and that heavy-handedly was worth support one way or another. Perhaps one message that it does exude is that uh, this is the creation of an individual, the, the individual statement. Of course, this is a very basic American idea that you know one man can make a difference and that the one voice has the right to speak in its own interest as, as opposed to the collective voice. Um, so in that sense, you could argue, I think, that abstract expressionism is a celebration of the, the individual, the, the lone voice. And that's a, that was a very much an American idea. It's just so... Uh, I'm, I'm still having trouble wrapping my head around it because it, <laughs> communism is so anti-individual. And uh, and they sensed that they hated that the individuality or the individualism of whatever this art was. For for the first time in all these clips, you kind of see a sort of a a glimpse into the jacket there, and you and you find that they actually were drawn to it because they knew that the enemy hated it. And it's really no different than uh, the parental advisory stickers that the PMRC slapped on all of those naughty CDs with the dirty lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as you make it like, oh, you know, this is no good. This is dangerous. It's like, oh, well, obviously we have to go consume this. Why else yeah. wouldn't they want us to have it if it wasn't so delicious? Streisand syndrome. Yeah. Yes. I really do think that that whole... Uh parental advisory thing is very much kind of the the grandbaby of this type of government government plus corporate shady censorship that goes on and it goes on you know beyond the uh, an official government level it's done through the record labels or it's done through you know some corporation or some company that's meant to enforce it not the government itself but anyway, the CIA totally didn't manipulate their own countrymen into a vicious, phony culture war, meaning to address a foreign boogeyman whose worst crimes were to enact the very clandestine activities in which they were participating. If you could please play clip seven, cultural commissars. In the struggle with communism, the CIA's cultural commissars plan to mobilize abstract expressionism, the arts equivalent of long-range missiles. They had, however, a major problem. At home... Abstract art was seen as subversive of true American values. Among the people who were shocked by it were Philistine but very powerful ranking congressmen, the kind of people who were to make policy in the McCarthy era. The domestic hostility to modern art had peaked in 1947, when an exhibition sponsored by the U.S. State Department became a major political controversy. It was called Advancing American Art, and it was scheduled to travel abroad, first to Latin America, then to Europe. 
the show was organized by the State Department in order to send it to Europe. And that was quite an interesting idea that the first time where the, uh, the American government actually uh, understood that at that time it was important to, to present the country to the rest of the world, in particular to Europe, uh, to show to Europe that we are not the dollar crazy people that we are portrayed by the uh, Russian propaganda, that we also uh, are creative people. And that was something very important. But at home, the exhibition met a different response. The leader of the attack on the exhibition was another congressman, George Dondero, a Michigan Republican who believed that modernist art was part of some worldwide conspiracy. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Is he about to make baseless claims? Yep. He's about to spread misinformation. <gasps> oh, no, not disinformation. I know, malinformation. That's what we said. Oh, we and got, it's going to cause so much harm. We gotta, we gotta resurrect Miss Dismal. Mmm, Miss Dismal. Yeah, Miss Dismal, smoking, mm. smoke show, smoking. That's a, <sighs> that's the sound of our collective boners. <laughs> it comes and goes and comes. Oh, straight up. Can I get, can I get three chops? Yeah, 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 whip it, mm. whip it, yeah, ah, beauty, beauty, eh? I don't know if you knew this or not, but that's easy. It's fucking easy, easy, dude. <laughs> easy. Speaking of easy, we have not an easy man, a hard man, Congressman George Dondero, 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 Michigan U.S. Representative. He gives a speech. Denouncing all of the modern art as a communist plot. He is the main McCarthyist figure in this tale. And for his speech that he gave to the U.S. House of Representatives, uh, he was given a gold medal uh, of honor, not the actual medal of honor, but a gold medal of honor from the International Fine Arts Council, or IFAC, <laughs> dedicated service to American art. IFAC, you fuck. We all fuck. <laughs> we all fuck, yeah. <laughs> we all fuck. Uh, let's see here. I actually have a good amount of the speech in the show notes. Uh, the next clip will have a, a short excerpt from the speech. But it's it's a wonderful speech. If we had more time, I'd actually ask you to read some of it. Oh. Uh, but, I mean, it's it's a lot, so... For the sake of time, maybe we'll just listen to what this little excerpt is, if you could play clip eight. In a speech, he said, Cubism aims to destroy by design disorder. Futurism aims to destroy by the machine myth. Dadaism aims to destroy by ridicule. Expressionism aims to destroy by aping the primitive and insane. Abstractionism aims to destroy by the creation of brainstorms. Surrealism aims to destroy by the denial of reason. Congressman Dondero belonged to a small but vocal minority of cultural fundamentalists. No less than President Truman lent his voice to the outrage at the advancing American art show, claiming, if that's art, then I'm a hottentot. He said that modern art was merely the vaporings of half-baked lazy people, frustrated ham and egg men. And by comparing the old masters to Jesus Christ and modern art to Lenin, he gave voice to the suspicion that modern art was communist-inspired. Oh, man, them are fucking words. 
Yeah, no, Harry Truman, he didn't hold back, man. He really told you exactly what kind of a turkey sandwich you were. Yeah. Straight to your face. God. <laughs> Frustrated ham and egg men. Oh, yeah. So Truman got, hops on board, and Truman is Mr. Anti-Communist. Whatever comes down the pipeline that's anti-Communist, Truman backs. So he uh, gets behind uh, Congressman Donderow's uh, sort of vibe and jib, and it sort of bleeds into McCarthyism as it's well-known and taught to us today, or at least it was. I don't know if they're still teaching McCarthyism. We'll have to ask the teachers in the chat. If they still uh, mention that in their social studies classes. But Truman gets behind it. And so now that there's this internal strife, internal strife uh, between the, the pro and the anti what's communist, what's not communist, what's American, what's not American. Uh, it's shocking. Uh, could you please play shocked? Ooh. I say, yes. Oh, you okay. Yeah. I just smacked the shit out of my mic. <laughs> yeah. You're getting stoked. I <laughs> put my mic in my place. In its place. Yeah, podcasts are down. More like podcasts are up. <laughs> Mics love to be put in their place. <laughs> Coupled with the humiliating spectacle of McCarthy's show trials, it offered the world an image of America as a place where freedom itself was being threatened. The CIA, insofar as I can understand their protestations, have always maintained they were an elite organization um, and with elitist views and with representing an elitist culture. And they believe in elites. They believe in the conspiracy of elites for that matter. So modern art became a part and, uh, and modern culture became a part of the elitist conspiracy. Uh, it was not the jackasses in Congress uh, that they were representing. They were representing an avant-garde. You have always to battle your own ignoramuses. <laughs> or... This is Braden. To put it more politely, uh, people just don't understand. Take Brock, for example. People, look at, people looked at some of Brock's paintings and said, well, what is it? It was non-representational, and therefore it shocked some Americans. People have to learn about art, and they have to look at it a long time. And that hadn't been done in America, except, uh, you know, we had paintings of waterfalls, um, the Hudson River School. So some people, uh, education stopped there, and they were shocked by modern art. I like Shocked, that, I say. I like that little, like, uh, oh, you know, it's just paintings of waterfalls. Yeah, he puts down all of uh, the general public as to being cultured. Calls basically the entire American public uncultured swine yep. with that statement. Which, you know, he feels truly about that way, and maybe I would if I were a man like him from his time. But this is the this is the thought process of this guy and of the CIA in general, is that they are the ones who have the education, the culture, the wherewithal to engage in this operation and to promote the art that they find that they have d decided is significant, is cultured, is good. Dare I say they are the ones creating the context? 
that is the fucking grill, isn't it? There. That's the that's a a question. It's a it's an interesting question. <laughs> Cuz this isn't in a vacuum now. Do these artists have the impact that they've had without the CIA there to to put them there to help them? What is culture? What are we operating in? What 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 is is being reflected and refracted, you know, through the lens of time. You know, I, I actually had a pretty interesting video about memes. It was like 10 minutes. I ended up not clipping it for this week, but uh, maybe maybe I'll pick up what you're putting down for this week and carry it forward in, into next week. Oh, perhaps. Yeah. We, can, we can do that. Yeah. Chain of Consciousness <gasps> episodes. Oh, my God. Chain Lightning episodes. Holy fuck. That would be so fucking cool. Oh my god. Oh my god. Chain lightning. Oh, Boobs has the bug. He's got the moth. Well, basically, yeah, it's like uh he sees the lamp. Oh, dude, hell yes. Oh my god. I'm coming. Nice. <laughs> That's how the Mothman comes. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about this after the show cuz <laughs> goddamn. This is an excellent <laughs> idea. Get a pencil and paper, folks. This is a wet ass uh, podcaster. <laughs> uh, super wet shit, Dave. Oh shit, man. You speaking of chain lightning, uh, and 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 consistency or continuity? Guess who shows up to be the CIA's thorn in their side? Mm. Who of all? Who is the CIA's arch rival? Hmm. Is it? I'm gonna do three guesses. Is it uh, a Kennedy? No. Damn it. Is it Castro? No. Good. Good guess. Mm, is it FBI? Open up. Ooh, third time's the charm. That's right. The female body inspection agency. Oh, uh, yes. The Federal Bureau of Investigation, the the long time, uh, you know, I'm gonna get you, of the CIA. Oh, they're always in the corner, just waiting, just waiting, waiting for you to slip up, and then they slither in like the snakes that they are. They Actually, slip right in. I shouldn't even say that. That's an insult to snakes. I'm sorry, snakes. I take that back. I wouldn't, never dare put you on the same playing field as the FBI. For they, are be- for they are beneath you. They are indeed. <laughs> the FBI is the snakes. The FBI is the shit that you sliver through, snake. <laughs> it's the uh, refuse uh, skin, you know, the shedded molt of a snake that's been tossed in cow shit and buried in the muck. Ooh, that was a good one. Yeah, yeah. Channeling my beatnik. A lot of 50s stuff going on here. We should absolutely talk about how the beatnik, uh, not tonight, but eventually talk about how the beatnik movement was taken over by the uh, by the alphabet boys. But in this case, we've got them uh, neck and neck, as it is such a classic tale. And who is leading the charge? None other than Mr. FBI himself, known cross-dressing black man, J. Edgar Hoover. The J. Edgar Hoover. That's right. Uh, he, let's just play uh, clip 10. 
FBI or CIA? Female body inspector. Walk East on Beacon was the inspiration of FBI boss Edgar Hoover, whose hostility to the left bordered on paranoia. Communism in reality is not a political party. It is a way of life, an evil and malignant way of life. It reveals a condition akin to disease that spreads like an epidemic. And like an epidemic, a quarantine is necessary to keep it from infecting this nation. Don't waste your bullets. Before I'm through, you might want to use them on yourself. When I turn this handle, the force of the explosion will scatter germs for hundreds of miles. Diseases will spread like wildfire from one end of the country to the other, infecting, crippling, paralyzing. Communism will ruin the world. The whip hand is typical of many anti-communist B-movies of the period. However unpersuasive they now seem, they reveal the depth of popular as well as official opposition to communism. The cultural flat feet of the FBI were on the warpath. It was becoming <laughs> difficult for the American government openly to support abstract expressionist painters with a left-wing past. The FBI and the political right wing saw these painters and their work as subversive, even treasonous. The solution was to go covert, not a difficult reflex for the CIA. Well, of course, one feature of doing it covertly is that the administration, the executive branch, could make the decision and do it. I mean, and it makes it a lot easier than the kind of debate that would occur in, with the Congress and every, every opinion uh, element in the country on everything, including some of the very retrograde people who say, no, you can't support those kinds of people. They're terrible. They're softies. They're, they're soft on communism and all the rest of it. <laughs> I don't uh we don't have to get super deep into it cuz I I'm going to be foggy on the details but when I joined the Cats tour we uh we were in Detroit for 2 weeks and then we went straight into DC and sat for 3 and while we were there the uh the flyman for the tour he ended up making friends at a bar with none other than Jackson Pollock's nephew Ooh, if it is to be believed and for three weeks straight i heard like these guys went from like just being dudes that had met at a bar to bickering over text messages like they were uh, a a 10-year couple it was the weirdest thing and like uh jackson pollock's nephew would just shower uh our our guy with like booze and they get in all sorts of crazy shenanigans and like he uh the nephew ended up getting kicked out of the the kennedy theater there in dc he got kicked out of the lobby for making the scene uh try, try, <laughs> trying to find the flyman <laughs> uh gave uh gave gave the guy a whole bottles of wine and we're like we're going to the next bar and next thing you know we're sitting on the patio and he pulls out a full bottle of fucking open wine and we're like Put that away. Damn. What a what a life. Yeah, don't don't drink the wine in front of the bar. <laughs> no, because then you get to tell them who the fuck you are. Mm. Hey, buddy. I'm Jackson Pollock's nephew, buddy. Buddy. Listen, guy. I don't know if you know who the fuck I am. Like, you gotta be really rich to have that richness rub off on your nephew. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was a very, uh, just straight. I, I only met the guy once or twice and I've, 
got a radar and I knew that I was not going to be going out. Um, even after all of the offers by, by our guy. Many such cases. I am like, I am a, I am a bug lamp. (laughs) Attracting all sorts of, (laughs) (laughs) you attract all the crawlers, don't you? (laughs) All sorts of interesting individuals, interesting locations at interesting times. Uh, it's true. I, I noticed that when uh when we when we went to the karaoke bar. Oh dude. That's that's a that's a very good example there. Yeah, there were people coming up to you left and right and just they just wanted to talk to you. You know? Yeah. They they wanted to they wanted to see what you were what you were concocting. Mm. Oh my. And everyone's drawn to boobs. Everybody likes boobs, you know. Everybody does like boobs, unless you don't Boop. like boobs, and then you're a fascist. You are a fascist. This is the most fascist thing of all. Not liking boobs. Mm-hmm. Hitler didn't look like uh, didn't like boobs. Uh, I, I, I don't think he that. did. I don't think he did. I doubt that. I don't. How could how could one person just spearhead so much carnage if they liked boobs? You know what I'm saying? I mean, the the, the only other uh, option is that he was an ass man. Mm. Which, I mean, there is good record. That apparently, what was his girl's name? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, whatever her name was. She, you know, she was into butt stuff, allegedly. I guess uh, Hitler well, was like, down, down for that action. I do know. I do know it to be a fact that men would weigh lace to landscapes for that piece of ass. So, well, that, that the history confirms that that would check out a- Eva Braun. Yeah. Thank you, Pitar. Eva Braun liked it up the tush. And, oh, and uh, I like what Squalor Bill said there. He said, "Imagine leveling accusations of treason when it's your stock and trade since day one." True story. <laughs> Oh man. True story. Let's uh let's burn through these last few clips here. Uh we have our favorite typical spook front and the uh, model upon which all of their spook fronts are built. We have the Ford Foundation entering the picture. So what America got was the formation of an unofficial hidden arts council, a consortium which consisted of the cultural elite the museum directors, the philanthropists, the urbane millionaires, the entrepreneurs, the critics, magazine editors, and CIA personnel. Exclusive clubs and bars were where members of the consortium did business. One of the network's leading lights was John McCloy, a former OSS agent and one of the architects of the CIA. He later had a key position on the Ford Foundation, a hugely rich charitable trust. At the same time, McCloy is chairman of the Ford Foundation, and uh, according to records found in the Ford Foundation's own archives, you you can see that uh, early in the 50s, the foundation uh, was approached repeatedly by the CIA to uh, help them provide cover for operations that they wanted to fund overseas. 
But existing foundations like Ford had their limitations. They were bureaucratic, and officially at least entirely independent of the CIA. Over large dinners and ice-cold martinis, the agency's old-school ties met to discuss more flexible ways of funding. Why not create new foundations if the existing ones were a pain? We would go to somebody in New York who was a, a well-known rich person, and we would say, we want to set up a foundation, and we, want, we would tell him what we were trying to do and pledge him to secrecy, and he would say, of course, uh, I'll do it, and uh, then you would publish a, a letterhead, and his name would be on it, and it would be the foundation. It was, a, it was really a pretty simple device. In this way, the CIA set up a huge network of phony foundations. One, for instance, was the Farfield. The Farfield Foundation was a, a CIA foundation, and there were many such. And we used uh, foundations for... We used the names of foundations for many purposes, but the foundation didn't exist except on paper. But foundations were only part of the picture. Millionaires and museums, or rather millionaires in museums, were also called into action. The mighty Museum of Modern Art in New York was a key player. It took up where the State Department left off after the collapsed exhibition of 1947. It stepped into the breach and vigorously set about exporting American avant-garde art to Europe. Well, the reason the United States couldn't have uh, a Ministry of Culture or something comparable was that uh, art, traditionally art in this country, always became a political football. Uh, and there were, were crises after crises. It was that basic situation of <laughs> exhibition after exhibition being censored, senators um, creating great problems about contemporary American artists that um, made the museum realize that government was not the way for arts programs to be administered. Man, you got to love that repeating script just over and over. I know. They really just pounded in. This is, this is what we're doing. This is the answer. This is why we're doing it. You know, look what happens when Coke goes and tries to change up their formula and they make new Coke. You know what happens? Chaos. It flops. That's why you yep. you find something that works, you stick with it. If it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. That's right. That's right. Uh yeah. They know they know best. Papa knows best. The Ford Foundation, the CAA, they know best. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's good to be an American. It's good to be a nonprofit. It's good to be a non-government organization. Uh, well, to bring this to a close, and mind you, if you want to watch this documentary, which is very fascinating, and this is only uh, a fraction of part one. It's a multiple-parter. Uh, really, really fantastic stuff that not only talks about art and the CAA, but it also talks about uh, different ways that art has been afflict, uh, affected through um, secretive or clandestine means. And not all of them necessarily involve the CIA, although most of them do. Uh, we close off with the final word here, uh, which I think reflects something that you talked on earlier, which is what would these artists be without this event happening, without this movement being pushed? Uh, please play clip 12. And what of Jackson Pollock, the real driven genius of abstract expressionism, here seen at the very height of his powers, 
the film shown countless times has paradoxically come to symbolize the freewheeling, freedom-enhancing nature of the movement. He, too, like Greenberg and Motherwell, joined the American Committee for Cultural Freedom. But he did so mechanically, sodden with drink, and politically exhausted. There's no doubt that we need to understand all art in relationship to its time. But that art cannot be reduced to those conditions. In other words, there well may be a, a terrain, um, a way of thinking about a Pollock painting that says, yes, there is something beautiful formally about this, that in a way it's a psychoanalytic picture. It's not a social picture, but it's an image of an inner landscape. And I don't think in that sense it can be reduced to a large political history. And I don't think it's any more reasonable to say that Pollock was supported by the CIA and therefore, you know, that's why he became important. He became important because other painters could see what and in how he'd enriched the traditions of art. You stand in front of a Pollock and you see somebody thinking very, very hard about what painting might be now. It's very easy to talk about culture. But talk about culture doesn't really have an impact on the public. Uh, for example, the CIA paid for the Boston Symphony to go over to Europe and make a tour. And I think that the Boston Symphony, the impact from that tour, the people who said, heavens, the Americans, look what they do. The impact was much, much stronger than four presidential speeches by Dwight D. Eisenhower about culture and democracy. I don't think that could have happened except in America. And I'm glad the CIA was immoral. If that's immoral, to fund secretly something that is essential for the freedom of the world, if that's immoral, I'm glad. What do these guys even do? <laughs> oh, God. He's referencing an article that he actually wrote because he's a journalist, <clears throat> uh, you know, because the CIA literally just puts journal uh, their guys in as journalists. And he wrote an article, which is in the show notes, called written for the Saturday Evening Post in 1967 called I'm Glad the CIA is Immoral. Just to give you a little hint on, on that. And you can read that article in the show notes. At uh, zososcorner.substack.com, episode 141. Yeah. Oh, uh, there it is. Got it. Gaddy. Oh, it's an archive, too. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to do it the real way here. I I really try to stay on top of uh, archive and everything that I can, as far as the notes are concerned. Uh, articles. I try. Articles, for sure. Yeah. Well, you do, I like your, you have a good archiving system with the highlighting and the, all of that, and it's done internally. Oh, we uh, might talk about that at the end, uh, if I think about it, but um, the, I'm just glad the CIA is immoral. I'm going to read this. <laughs> yeah. If you want to close out the evening, maybe you could read an excerpt from either that or the speech uh, at the end there by... Congressman Dondero. Um, this might be. Oh, 
I'll try the newspaper because that's the one I got pulled up. Yeah, okay. Uh, on the desk in front of me, as I write these lines, is a creased and faded yellow paper. It bears the following inscription in pencil. Received from Warren G. Haskins, $1,500 signed. Norris A. Grambo. Oh my god, Grambo? <laughs> Grambo is in this? Grambo! <laughs> That's a Guar character. Uh, I went in search of this paper on the day the newspapers disclosed the, quote, scandal of the Central Intelligence Agency's connections with the American students and labor leaders. It was a wistful search, and when it ended, I found myself feeling sad. For I was Warren G. Haskins, Norris A. Grambo was Irving Brown of the American Federation of Labor. The $15,000 was from the vaults of the CIA, and the piece of yellow paper is the last memento I possess of a vast and secret operation whose death has been brought about by small-minded and resentful men. It was my idea to give the $15,000 to Irving Brown. He needed it to pay off his strong-armed squads in the Mediterranean ports so that American supplies could be unloaded against the opposition of communist dock workers. It was also my idea to give cash, along with advice to other labor leaders, to students, professors, and others who could help the United States in its battle with communist fronts. It was my idea. For 17 years, I had thought it was a good idea. Yet here it is in the newspapers, buried under excoriation. Walter Lippmann, Joseph Kraft, editorials, outrage, shock. What's gone wrong, I said to myself as I looked at the yellow paper. Was there something wrong with me and the others back in 1950? Did we think we were helping our country when in fact we ought to have been hauled up before Walter Lippmann? And what's wrong with me now? For I still think it was and is a good idea, an imperative idea. Am I out of my mind, or is it the editor of the New York Times who is talking nonsense? And so I sat, sadly amidst the dust of old papers, and after a time I decided something. I decided that if I ever knew a truth in my life, I knew a truth of the Cold War, and I knew what the Central Intelligence Agency did in the Cold War, and never have I ever, never have I read such a Ooh, God. Con. Concatenation. I've never seen that word in my life. Concatenation. Yeah, concatenation. Of inane, misinformed twaddle, as I have now been reading about the CIA. Misinformation. Were the undercover payments by the CIA, quote, immoral? Surely it cannot be, quote, immoral to make certain that your country's supplies intended for delivery to friends are not burned, stolen, or dumped into the sea. Are the CIA efforts to collect intelligence anywhere it can be, quote, disgraceful? Uh, surely it cannot be disgraceful to ask somebody whether he had learned anything while he was abroad that might help his country. People who make these charges must be naive. Some of them must be worse. Some must be pretending to be naive. Uh, and then he gets into some of the other individuals that's, uh, that is laying them out. Uh, yeah, oh, that sounds good. Uh, there is, let me fast forward just a little part. Uh, it was, it seemed to me that this organization was not capable of defending the United States against a new and extraordinarily successful weapon. The weapon was the International Communist Front. There were seven of these fronts, all immensely powerful. There was the International Association of Democratic Lawyers, 
had found documented proof that U.S. forces in Korea were dropping canisters of poison mosquitoes in North Korean cities. Uh, World Peace Council had found a successful operation called the Stockholm Peace Appeal, a petition signed by more than 2 million Americans. Most of them, I hope, were in ignorance uh, in the council's program. Uh, Another uh, peace initiative on the Soviets' part. Yeah. Oh, that list goes on a little longer than I was expecting. Uh, yeah, it's a nice, long, it's a detailed little uh, list of all of these international communist fronts and organizations. But basically the whole article is him saying, well, you know, I was going around paying this guy off and paying that guy off, and, and we're, we're pretty cocksure that what we were doing was the right thing. So there you go. Hmm. I also like this uh, advertisement for here on page two. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Definitely like that. Good shit. Oh, did I also tell you that he was the former president of California's Board of Education? Oh, he was a te- well, teacher adjacent. He was teacher adjacent, yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, just, just so you know. So, uh, you know, affecting what happens in school is not a big deal. Yeah, nice. Good reading. And uh, the full article is there in the show notes if you want to check it out. That's there along with uh, everything else that you've heard tonight. As well as some examples of the art that we mentioned before. Very cultured. Mm Mm-hmm. Tasteful, my good man. Yeah. Uh, Also, speaking of Grambo. uh, Oh, what happened? Is my clip broke? We must put an end to this spectacle of debauchery. Mm. Clip machine broke. I fixed it. I smacked it around a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Do we have any scream mails? Womp, womp. Whoa. Hey there. Give us a call. 612-263-7999. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, we got a couple more minutes here, I suppose. Um. If you want to rock a t-shirt, Make Heroism and Mary Kate Ultra are very generous and maintain a threadless shop uh, where we have, uh, or they I, they have posted up a couple of uh, t-shirts there. It's behindtheschemes.threadless.com or behindtheschemes.shop. Should take you yes, right there. Indeed. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much to Make Heroism and Mary Kate Ultra for facil- facilitating that for us. It's awfully kind. And uh, is indeed another example of value for value. And the shirts are fantastic. I wear them all the time. Very high quality stuff. I'd be wearing one right now if I wasn't naked. Yeah. If I wore clothes, I'd be wearing them. The, um, okay. So I found a program. I sent you a link to it. I, I don't know if you had a chance to get into it too deep. It's, uh, a quagmire to say the very least, of things that are possible. Giggity. I suppose. Um, it's definitely meant for uh, neurodivergent people, I feel like. I'm on that spectrum! But that's okay. Um, hmm. it, it was a program called Obsidian, which is used to sort of database and create notes, uh, which you can link internally to other notes, so on and so forth. And um, I've been poking around in it and i think it's getting closer to 
what I would like to see the note show notes turn into. Mm-hmm. Um, something something that's, that all links together and you can just type in the search bar and find whatever. Well, like, so yeah, autism where exactly servo. <laughs> autism where <laughs> what the fuck is autism? Um, it's, uh, the best way that I could describe it is it's essentially you would be writing a wiki for the show notes if you took the time to link and uh, create definitions. And um, <clears throat> it's just a matter of figuring out how do I take content from web articles and without too much hassle, get it put into HTML that you can then edit and then. How do you publish it without? I think it's twenty dollars for the pro, and you can publish it. Publish your notes, mm-hmm. um, which I, I I don't know. I mean, I'm always open to trying new stuff. Absolutely, yeah. It's a it's a good concept. Um. So yeah, shall pursue it. I'm definitely gonna be looking into seeing how uh, I might be able to uh, integrate that. It is free. I was hoping it would be open source. It's not. Uh, uh, so there are some TOSs. I got to make sure I'm not going to be dicked over by at a later date. Surely. Uh, but yeah. That's cool. Obsidian. Dig on it. Yep. You know, not an advertisement, but it's definitely of note because we're such suckers for uh, staying on top of uh, making sure we got all the receipts. Mm-hmm. The receipts. Yeah, I got to have that rip. Yeah, you don't want to crack into that can you hear. Uh, that, that'd be bad. That means somebody already got into that. Oh, don't do that. No. It's got to have a nice hiss. Yeah. It's got to have a nice hiss or it's got to come straight from NetNed's mouth. That's the only way I'll drink it. Yep, yep. It's got to be great or it's got to be better. Yeah, or the best. The fucking best. The tits. Uh, speaking of the tits, we do the show live every Monday night. If you want to check us out, you can always tune in over at badradio.live. We go live 730, 930, 1030 Eastern uh, specifically. Uh, we got social. We got the green room IRC chat. We got nudepodcastapps.com. We got it all, baby. We got our sh- uh, shop, bts.shop. We got our show notes, zososcorner.substack.com, which will get you a link to all the other things aforementioned. Oh, baby, we're just we're just running the gauntlet these days. You got to come on by, and you really got to check out the green room. The chat room is where it's at. Uh, if you don't have an IRC client, well, that's fine. Just go to zososcorner.substack.com and click on the link, and we'll get you a nice little Kiwi action going. If you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. Mm, the green room. Green room, where all the schemes go down. That's right. Hashtag greenroomirc.zeronode.net. You can also go to trollroom.io. You can get into the no agenda chat that way. Yeah. Hashtag greenroom. Oh, my God. Did you know that we're a value-for-value production? means that we don't have ads. We don't have any corporate sponsorship. We don't have anybody pulling our purse strings or trying to tug at our buttholes. We are simply beholden to no one but ourselves. And we're scheming, baby. Trying to get behind the schemes hard. Getting behind it so hard. Uh, That's right. Trying to get behind that green door. We're going to do a lot of drugs. We're going to murder some goats. 
We're gonna talk fine arts. We're gonna go digging for gold. We're gonna slander the FBI. <laughs> Repeatedly and baselessly. It's gonna be sweet. <laughs> it's gonna be fucking sweet. Oh my god, you get a list, and you get a list, and you get a list. We all get put on lists. You all put on a list. <laughs> Congratulations, it's a good list to be on. Um, yeah, you know that club that they were talking about? Guess what? Get in now. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other, other club. The club the of other, the plebs. The other thing. The club of the unwashed. The unloved. Mm, the grease club. The Greaser Club. The Club of the Uncultured. The Unclubbed. <laughs> oh, fuck, you're gonna make me unclubbed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, looking forward, I don't think... Oh, uh... Oh, I'm, I think I'll be absent next week, so... Yeah, so make it happen, Kevin. I'm I'm not sure. Uh, I don't have anybody lined up specifically yet, but we'll find somebody, or we'll do a solo show with me, them, the goats. Make something happen. Mmm, and the ghost of Christmas past. Mmm, that guy owes me some money. Thank you for reminding me. Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose it's time to go collect from some piece of shit ghost. And uh, until that time, <laughs> this has been Booberry, Mothman, and the Miniocalypse. And way over here on the Rep Coast, where I ain't afraid of no fucking cheap ass ghost. Fuck the CAA. My name is Lavish. Oh, you gotta join hashtag Green Room. You're so fucking fired. Hey, Horace, how's it going? You're beautiful, but you're not going to be president. Some failed criticism, I see. By the way, here's me being a salesman. Man, I feel like it takes a lot to make the Mothman mad. If you want to smoke crack, that's fine. Killed a lot of people, babe. That was the most satanic Illuminati thing I've seen in a while. Rip it shot it in the head but that was miserable that is just some some uh, live podcasting yeah, everything involving the hunting schemes is just off the rails yeah. but for me it was Tuesday it was bad radio boost me bitch Oh yeah, behind the scenes.